This is British Wrestling Spotlight on the IndieCorner.com. I'm Ben And I'm Joe. And I'm JP. And it's been ages since we've talked, lads. Uh, how are you? Good to, uh, good to talk to you. Um, definitely hasn't been just a couple of days. Uh, how, how have you been? Uh, yeah, I've had a busy weekend in London. Uh, taking in some football, taking in a bit of wrestling as well. I was at uh, the Black Gay Pride as well, which was... Uh, interesting i've got to say um yeah so it's been a, a busy weekend but a lot of fun as well jp did you get up too much on friday night uh i'll tell you what i got to friday night i um i cycled to meet joe on the other side of oxford he kindly picked me up oh cool we uh yeah we watched the the semi-final um which was really good and then we spoke to you quarterfinal quarterfinal sorry my god um it was the uh brazil versus belgium game mm-hmm. it's a good game and then uh, we spoke to you on Skype. and about three and a half hours, something like that? About, about three and a half hours <laughs> um, to about sort of 1 a.m. <laughs> and then uh, it turned out that the recording hadn't gone quite as planned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you may hear it in our, in our voices here today, but yeah, we, oh. uh, we had an episode in the can last week. Um, so the stuff we're going to talk about today is a little bit less timely, but yeah, we recorded for if if joe's internet hadn't cut out at 1am we'd have carried on talking until about two i think um but yeah when the the file got spat out from my recording software it was literally just my voice and i'd ask what you guys questions and then it'd just be silence and that it was just you guys just weren't there it was great it was just me a madman talking to himself about progress <laughs> about new japan uh, <laughs> The worst sinking feeling in the world. I, I've never had a harder phone call than ringing you guys back to let you know that we've just wa- wasted about four hours of our lives. Um, and the annoying thing was that phone call when I rang you back, that recorded absolutely fine. Uh, now I know how Steve Austin feels. It is, mate. It was um, It was. It was a hell of a chat. Oh, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, shame no one else will ever hear it, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, exactly. And your girlfriend coming back from Dream Boys. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we, we had Joe's girlfriend coming back from right out, my girlfriend coming back, we had all this bonus audio, I mean not to blue ball the audience too much, but we even had you Joe doing a, a rendition of World in Motion that's been uh, lost to the ether, the John Barnes rap. Uh, it's lost a, forever that one. What a shame, Zach Gibson as stole as your idea. I'd love to hold and give and you know, record at the right time again. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, did you see that? Zach, Zach Gibson stole it and uh, used that as his bit at, at OTT. He said he was going to sing out the uh, the English national anthem and did the John Barnes rap. What a man. Really? Yeah. That's right. I've been saying for years, if we change the national anthem, because I, I, I don't believe in God, fuck the Queen. So I'm not singing <laughs> God Save Our Queen because I don't believe, I'm not religious and I don't want God to save the Queen because I'm not a royalist. I've, also, I've said for years, if Free Lions was the national anthem, how up for football matches would people be? That dead Wembley atmosphere that we've had since the, uh, <laughs> you know, since Wembley was rebuilt and reopened. No atmosphere. You get them going a bit of free lines. You even get Badil and Skinner along to a few games to do it. There's a national anthem. People are going to be well up for it. I think that Zach Gibson's got the right idea. <laughs> JP, where do you stand with your split loyalties there? Uh, you're more of a yeah. Republic of Ireland fan, aren't you? I am. I'm a Republic of Ireland fan, but obviously, like, I, I'm... I'm English, um, so it's it's been great because actually this is a really likable side. I think part of the thing that turned me off in the past when I was a kid is the Republic of Ireland was kind of fun growing up, and England were involved in generally vicious hooliganism for the most part up until the early 90s. Um, so this side has been pleasing to watch because they play good stuff. Um, I won't be going to the... I'm missing the semi-final, because I'm going to be in the air on the way to Turkey with my girlfriend, oh, so stuff. I'm 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 going to be I'm got to try, I basically arrive near seven o'clock and I've just got to find a way of trying to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got you got if, if it's on the airport, you got to find a way. Come yeah, on, I will. <laughs> this is like the biggest match in this country since 1990. Yeah, you know, and potentially could lead to the biggest match since. 1966. Little do some understand that. <laughs> once in a lifetime stuff, Joe. I mean, once in a century. Yeah. I mean, in the, I mean, in this part, part one, we're going to split the show up just to keep ourselves sane. Uh, we're mainly going to be talking New Japan and Rev Pro Strong style of all, but we can't avoid it. As as we're at a time of recording, there's a melting pot on Twitter right now of beef uh, progress getting hammered on the timeline because. I mean, they were daft enough to organise a show on World Cup final day, so that's on them. Uh, I don't think anyone predicted that there's a possibility it could be England in the World Cup final, so they've tried this silly idea, haven't they, of of having the first half and then breaking and then showing the England game and then some poor wrestlers after England... Sorry, if England make the World Cup final, sorry. If they make it there, some poor wrestlers going to have to go out and, uh, and then they're going to do the second half of the show. Uh, what do you make of all, all the kickoff on the uh, the timeline now about that plan? People complaining about uh, train travel and uh, progress being just uh, the, the usual lovely uh, customer service selves on, uh, on the Twitter. <laughs> right, first of all, if you are complaining about this and you're saying, I'd rather watch TK Cooper versus Rob Lynch <laughs> in a number division. one contenders match for the Atlas title... Rather than realise that most people want to watch something that's possibly, you know, going to happen once in a lifetime, get in the real world, seriously, TK Cooper, Rob Lynch, England in the World Cup final. You may not like football, but kind of realise and have a think about what like, the majority of people in this country and who are going to go to that show kind of want. It, what I find really interesting here is when I first got into progress, there was a real kind of like... Um, they use like football branding a lot and like terms that like you, you know real football fans need like the whole ultras thing or the rest of it. It's interesting how since a certain group of fans led by one person in particular have come along, but they've moved away from that and moved to some socio political branding, isn't 
isn't it? And now that one flag waver is waving the flag the most viewed as well. Kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, JP, have you got any? I mean, have you got any sympathy for the people going? I, I think I do. I mean, I overall, oh. I agree. It's once in a lifetime stuff. But if you booked a progress ticket for Sunday, you probably aren't yeah. a football fan. Uh, especially if you book train travel and stuff. I think the progress reaction to the people who were saying, well, what about my train travel? And I think it was Briley on the Twitter just replying and going, well, you need to speak to the train or bus company. And it's just like, you know, it's typical ex- I think <laughs> yeah, they've, cool. yeah. they've taken the password off him now. Glenn Joseph's on there trying to put, put out fires and uh, organize uh, our friend Martin described as a support group for the people who aren't very, uh, very happy. Uh, is, there, is there a justification for the people who are angry? I can definitely see their point of view. <laughs> I can see it for the cost. What I don't get is the kind of outrage. I've seen other people who've just gone, oh, bloody hell, um, I'm probably not going to go, and I'm just going to try and flog the ticket. And if they lose out, they lose out by 20 quid. But if England gets the However, final, it's gonna, you're going to struggle to flog, flog that ticket, aren't you? Exactly. And do you know what? I mean, some people might buy it as some sort of distraction away entirely from the football. I, I, don't, I can't see Jim Smallman being happy. Having to kind of well, the uh, three of them are football fans. Yeah, like you know, if they want to be there while England are in a World Cup final. You just think I'd hate my job. I've never, I've not like, sympathised with the free progress promoters much before, but <laughs> I sympathise with them here. I really, it's, really do. This is genuinely show, once in a lifetime stuff, stuff, and this stuff has a real impact on the nation. Like, I yeah, mean, what are you going to say? Like, kind of, like this is big, serious stuff. Like when the Olympics came to town, it was like even people who weren't into the Olympics kind of got behind it because there was a group of very nice people who were doing brilliantly in sport. And they were of a completely mixed background, so the entire country could get behind it. And the World Cup, there is a similar kind of feeling happening here with a side of players, a lot of whom, and Joe's brought up the point with me off air about players who played in lower league football and people from a wide, uh, diverse backgrounds are sort of coming together. And the entire country are getting behind it, and that's a really nice feeling. But you know, bitching because you don't like football, it's like, do you know what, tough shit, it's bigger than that. Do you know what I find hilarious, right? I've asked, you know, as a kid, like, my granddad, my dad, where did you watch the World Cup final in 66? Like, I asked my dad if he remembers the World Cup final. I asked about other great games. Just talking to JP about 1990s, he remembers it. Imagine if your grandkids say to you, where were you when England, you know, got to the World Cup final? Touch would we do uh, in 2018. You say, oh, I was watching Rob Lynch battle TK Cooper for the number one contendership for the Atlas title. Come the fuck on. Like, please listen to this. Put that into perspective and actually think about, like... <laughs> I think the thing is, offer them offer them the refunds for the tickets. That might yeah, be the easiest I, I, way I, out. Yeah. You, you end need up to paying you're under a quid then. Be better about that, don't be? It's like... Um, that's, that's the Future way Shock are doing it much better. Future Shock have got their show starting early at about one o'clock, and it's going to be done in, in time for the World Cup final. Perfect. Yeah. Um, might yeah. still get some unhappy people who are maybe not going to be, didn't plan on traveling in early. Uh, but I think that's probably a, a better solution uh, than what Progress are doing. Uh, with Can this. I offer a point on Future Shock? I don't think you've got as many outragers who go to Future Shock. I think the outrage crew um, are really kind of. I don't know, based around, but Progress and Fight Club Pro, you get the outrages going to. The people who thrive and live on Twitter and live on being able to be outraged on Twitter about the latest 
whatever happens in Britress, and then like a lot of uh, you know sleaze controversy and things to be outraged about and things to get angry about week after week after week. We see the same crew making the same judgments, being outraged by the same things that go on in British wrestling over and over and over again, and they need material. And they need content to constantly be outraged about. This is just this week's piece of outrage material. And they'll out, they'll outrage and they'll outrage until they get their own way or until the next controversy in British wrestling comes along, which I'm sure will be minor. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'd, I'd, be, I'd probably wear that a bit more carefully because there are those people uh, and they are. I mean, Tyler Bate caught all kinds of flack from one of those people in particular. Um, so. I'll catch the flack. I couldn't care less. <laughs> but there are but there are people who don't follow football who are, are being put out by this. Who, who are yep. going to have problems with getting rid of the tickets? But luckily, I mean Tyler Bate in, in catching that flack um, and being told buy our merch or fuck you for actually wanting to watch wrestling, um, which is a great uh, logo for a, for a charity that could work. Um, Tyler's actually come back, and I don't know if he's serious or not. But he's saying, well, I'll pay for people's uh, train tickets. I'll, I'll sort it out. Uh, I suppose he's got he'll that, that. contract. Yeah, he might. But that's what Progress should be doing, really. For the people who were genuinely not football fans who booked this day to travel, I didn't care that the World Cup was on. I do get that, that you've got to have a bit of awareness that this isn't just a football game, is it? This is potentially yes. England and the World Cup final. But I do think that Progress should be making some kind of concessions for those people. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps that sweet WWE money could uh, help him out here. <laughs> Maybe it will. Maybe it will. Well, we're going to talk uh, a lot more about progress. I think, we've got, like I said, they're going to split this up into into two uh, halves of a show. So we, in the second half, we'll be talking progress. So look for that uh, in your feed in a couple of days. But the main thing we're going to talk about today, we're mainly going to be talking Rev Pro and New Japan, and uh, just on, on Rev Pro before we get into all that. Uh, Joe, you got to the uh, the cockpit on Sunday uh, for Rev Pro show. We're going to talk about this briefly because uh, time is of the essence but uh, how was the show and uh, I mean the big match there was Walter and Josh Bodum uh, I'm desperate to know how that was a solid show Walter Bodum was awesome um, it was everything I wanted it to be uh, it was an ass kicking contest and Bodum got battered but he gave uh, as much as he sort of received as well and came out of the match looking good but Walter came out of the match still looking very strong um, there, oh, there was some cracking stuff in this match Some of there was one shop in particular that Walter threw and it's the one shop or the one sort of moment that I reckon everyone will remember from this match it was so loud mm. walter in that cockpit venue so intimate so small just the sound of his strikes the way they hit and that one chop in that venue ah oh, i can still hear it now and the, oh, the reaction was yeah. one of the best reactions i've ever heard in that venue um bodum again looked awesome um I don't know what. The, again, we always speculate about what the guy's done wrong, but fuck me, he can go. Yeah. His leg kicks and the way he checks the leg. Ah, oh, they're, they're the best leg leg kicks in wrestling at the moment. I think um, Walter was just awesome though, um, and this is the first time Walter's been booked on a cockpit show that I can recall. And him in that setting, everything sounds louder. Everything hits harder. Everything looks worse. He's a guy that I'd want to be booking on cockpit shows. Like from here going on, to be honest with you, because he can add so much to those shows. Like, I would say, I wouldn't call it a match of the year contender or anything, but I'd say definitely go out your way to find this one. It's probably the best match I've seen at the cockpit this year, that's for sure. Awesome match. 
Yeah, it looks, it sounds and looks incredible. I saw the photo of Walter's hand disappear into the chest of Josh Brodom. It's like the sickest looking oh, yeah. photo I've ever seen. Like, just, yeah. like a man's chest breaking in a, in slow motion. Uh, I'm desperate to see that match. It does sound what, like a... Watching a... Josh Bodum's mum cheering him on as her son <laughs> got battered as well and kind of squirming each time Walter's strikes got harder was <laughs> kind of interesting as well. Is uh, it the, the new Jay Lethal verse? family? Oh, mate, you can never beat that. You can never beat that. <laughs> Jay Lethal's mum and Loki, God. <laughs> uh, anything else you'd recommend people to uh, to check out from that show? Um, nothing I'd say run out of your way for. It was a solid show. It wasn't um, It wasn't amazing, by any means. It's good to see Lucky Kid debuting in Rev Pro as well. He was in a tag match. Probably my second favourite match in the show. It was Lucky Kid and Speedball Mike Bailey against CCK. Um, I think it was Lycos' first actual match in Rev Pro. Because I think every time he was booked, he got injured and ended up just being a corner guy. Um, so it was good to see Lycos actually get in the ring in Rev Pro. And he was looking decent as well. So that was a really solid match. Hope Lucky Kid gets over a little bit more as well. Mm. Um, Sugar Dunkerton made his Rev Pro debut. Uh, hey, any got, chatting? Yeah, got the Sugar Chance as yes. well, which was cool. Get in. Um, he got kind of over. I think people seem to quite like him, kind of gravitate towards him. So that was a fun comedy match. Colt Cabana was in that one as well. So, yeah, all around a nice way to top off a wonderful afternoon where it felt like football was coming closer to home. <laughs> Superb. <laughs> uh, well, yep, that's uh, we'll uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to see that because, yeah, I definitely want to see that, that Walter match. But, yeah, another great show at the cockpit. I've never been down, but I, I definitely want to make the, uh, the trip at some point. Uh, maybe we can organise that. Um, so yeah, while we're on the subject and we're talking Rev Pro, let's get into uh, Rev Pro and New Japan. Uh, the Strong Style Evolved uh, weekend, which was last weekend now, so a little while ago. Uh, a fun couple of shows. Um, there was a bit of controversy going into the shows that I do think we should still touch on. Uh, a lot of people were angry as the... Maybe angry is a bit strong, but I did see varying responses. Similar to the, the progress brief we were just talking about. Uh, the, the shows were initially announced strong, unbranded strongly as New Japan shows. You didn't, there wasn't a Rev Pro label on the uh, original poster. And Andy Quilden went out his way on Twitter to say to people, these aren't Global Wars shows. And then as the cards started to come out, I think people were a little bit disappointed with the... Uh, with the cards in general um, and with there being uh, a few Rev Pro guys on the show but not a huge amount um, but mm. yeah the, I mean I think a, a good talking point and the uh, a, a good way of putting the I think the controversy um, in perspective and something that made me think a bit more about it was watching the, the G1 USA shows from this weekend mm-hmm. um, I mean I had some sympathy I listened to uh, Andy Quilden's podcast where he was explaining what had happened with the shows and the they were expecting to have uh, more wrestlers there. Tanahashi was supposed to be there. Hiroki Goto. They didn't know about the, the Bullet Club guys being booked in Ring of Honor. And it all kind of fell that way. But yeah, watching those uh, New Japan USA shows, I would say a big difference there was just the fact that they had a, a New Japan ref. They had the New Japan ring announcer. It did feel a lot more legitimate. Uh, and I, yeah. I, even there are things that you can't. I mean, that is an extra expense if you want to do that but i almost think it's worth that extra expense and there are more unreasonable things you know the light in the fact that the usa shows are the new japan world setup and production and they were being done for tv that makes a big difference but even things like 
having the photographers and young boys at, at ringside gave a, a yeah, huge difference yeah. in the feel. Um, I mean, who'll go to you first, JP? Have you got any more sympathy for the for the Boo Boys who were complaining about these shows being very much... Uh, I suppose they, they ended up being branding as Rev Pro and New Japan shows rather than yeah. solid New Japan shows. Any sympathy there? I do. I mean, we kind of agree um, that it was it was Rev Pro Presents New Japan is kind of how, how it came across. Um, on this one, I mean, obviously, I think that you've got Access who are, who are paying for a lot of this as well to be able to sort of, sort of show it live and, and give it the, the production aspect as well. And that's something that having looked back on it and having seen some of the VOD, there's a lot of stuff that's not very New Japan about that and it does become evident when you look at the g1 special i suppose though this is sort of testing the water mm. and the idea would be next time where they run will it be another one of the ice rinks will there be a different setup will they bring over the extra expense knowing that they can actually sell the tickets and seeing what the response is that's probably the acid test and how quickly they do that um but i agree with you add those little things into it it really it really does the, i was uh, you know the the announcer giving the 10 minute call in japanese yeah, and then it sort of that kind of stuff is is great mm. it's interesting from a cost perspective as well because looking at the i haven't finished the g1 uh show from yesterday i'm up, up to the main event mm. but just looking at the show generally and I think stuff like the count from the announcer, yeah. um, the legitimate count, makes so much difference. And you look at it, and it looks like New Japan and Access have probably, you know, split costs or shared costs on this in some way. Whereas when you look at the Rev Pro shows, it very much seems like it's Rev Pro putting on the shows and from what Quilden said it was very much them spending a lot of money mm. on these shows so you wonder if new japan is serious uh if you know they need to put a little bit more in terms of the cost into these shows what with rev pro being an independent company or the rest mm. of it um and i suppose you've got to make compromises when it comes to being the independent company at the same time, wondering what's worth it and what isn't. Like think, little things like the ring announcer. Like I thought the ring announcer for the Rev Pro New Japan show was so bad. Yeah. Like he clearly had no investment or knowledge of the product. Whereas listening to the to the regular ring announcer when you're watching uh, the G1 show yesterday, God, it makes the world a difference. It seems completely legitimate. Mm. Yeah. It does. It and that's. It's just the. I think it's the feel of things. I mean. I mean. A question I'll put to you, Joe, is if you put the cards side by side, which would you you rather watch? And I think a, a question that goes to that as well is even if we say the Rev Pro card slash New Japan card looks stronger, there is that question of well, would you rather have the strong cards or would you rather have the legitimate New Japan experience? I wonder if that goes to the crux of uh, what people's argument were but yeah what do, you, what do you think if you if you do put those cards side by side i'll do these stack up uh it's a tough one because i think um the audience is interesting as well because i think you've got you look at yesterday's the two main events are based around um gaijin wrestlers mm. so kenny and uh, cody and then juice robinson and jay white so you've got one match which is new japan young boys that have come through the young Lions system for the US belt, which was made last year. I and mean, then you've got Cody and Kenny, which is obviously a, a kind of cross-promoted match of Ring of Honor in some way, but they've matched there previously. And they've kind of built the match up on being the elite, if anything. So I think you very much have a audience of people who are mostly into being the elite, say, watching that match and who are attracted to that match. Whereas 
And I think there is a very specific group of people who do pay attention to the elite stuff and to um, like the Bullet Club that don't necessarily follow New Japan as a company yeah. and watch New Japan cards. And it felt to me like that show yesterday was more aimed at that audience. What with that main event, while getting some of the new like kind of dedicated New Japan fans in the US on board as well. Mm. But then I suppose a lot of the growth of the company in the US has probably been because of being the elite and because of the popularity of the wrestlers that are involved in that show. So I get that. From a card perspective, um, I know personally I would have taken the UK cards because as much as I love Kenny Omega, as much as I've enjoyed, I enjoy what the Young Bucks do, um, I'm far more invested in and interested in, say, Akada, Suzuki, uh, Ishii, and Zack Sabre Jr. in what they're able to produce in New Japan. And even though the show yesterday was New Japan canon, it felt great getting New Japan canon matches that felt more unique yeah. and that were between wrestlers that you know are definitely going to produce good wrestling matches uh whereas yesterday i heard the cody kelly match was good but overbooked and i'm not necessarily into overbooked whereas we got to see a great tag match as the main event on the first night and then we got to see two great main events with Zack saber jr ricardo and ishi suzuki on the second night as well to me if i saw those matches against one another i would opt for those matches straight away ahead of a cody kelly match mm. uh but you jp did you catch the uh, the us cards I did. Um, I liked it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I think I'd got the idea into my head that it wasn't actually going to be particularly great because there'd been the stories about the ticket sales and everything else. Um, I enjoyed it, and I agree. This was this was a Bullet Club show, even with the angle afterwards. So I mean, the whole thing was set up very much for 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 Bullet Club, and you know, I was I. I didn't enjoy the last time I saw the Bucks and oh, is it the Bucks and Marty versus CCK versus CCK mm-hmm. and Flip, Flip Gordon and, and that's left a really bad taste in my mouth. So, like for me again, I would have I would have chosen the, the the Manchester cards. There was a lot more on them that kind of felt a bit more unique to me. There were people who I hadn't seen before. Mm. You know, I hadn't seen Taiji Ishimori, for example. So, you know, there, there was there was kind of really interesting a much more interesting dynamic because i kind of liked having some of the the british wrestlers on there because yeah. i think that's that's an area we are that, pro fans though aren't we and that is a difference yeah, yeah. so my good mates in the u.s as well who follow uh, like new japan closely and who follow the industry closely were absolutely raving about these uk cards yeah. when the matches were coming out even metal uh, was wasn't he in the voices of wrestling guys yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know that those guys are, you know, proper New Japan fans as well who followed New Japan and have done for years. Um, whereas, say, the same friends of mine, um, I think a couple of them were going to the show yesterday but weren't overly excited for it. And we're just saying, like, we're not so much into the Bullet Club stuff, we're into New Japan. So I think if you're a kind of, this sounds like such an arrogant term to use, but if you're like a New Japan purist, in a way, (laughs) who's followed New Japan for a good few years now, I think those Manchester and Milton Keynes cards were the cards that would bring you in more so than, say, um, what was presented in, in the US. I'm not so sure. I mean, I agree in the main with you guys. I'm not sure sure in the Milton Keynes card. I don't know how much yeah. I'd say that stacks up to, to US. But I mean, we'll get it. I mean, I think Manchester was 
arguably stronger. But again, it goes to that question of whether you're uh, you're treating the the UK cards as a package. Um, and Milton Keynes is all almost a a road to show, wasn't he? Um, but some of it goes to you know just what you say, and then it goes to who you're a fan of. I think a big thing about New Japan's international expansion, well. If you just look at t-shirts sold, who sells the most t-shirts for New Japan? It's LIJ and it's the Elite. And we didn't have a presence of either of them on, on, mm. on the UK shows. So if you're that minded kind of a fan, I kind of get the disappointment. And again, if you were just going to the Milton Keynes show, I kind of get that that disappointment as well. But we certainly uh, got plenty to make up for. I mean, we got Kevin Kelly doing the, doing the, the commentary rather than yeah. Jim Ross sleepwalking his way through a through a show. So at least... Uh, oh, he wasn't good, was he? No. Awful. And people don't want to say it because I think people want to be polite about Jim Ross. He's had an awful couple of years, hasn't he? So it's hard to, to pile on. Yeah. But they, they had that, uh, that big... Uh, oh, we are going to talk to UK shows in a minute. But they had that big elite angle at the end. And old school Jim Ross, you think, would be going crazy selling that. And he's just yeah. sat there like this curmudgeon old man, no passion, no context, because even though he, he calls New Japan on a weekly TV show, he doesn't keep up with the product. He can't announce, he can't pronounce all of the wrestlers' names. Just, yeah, I, I'd take Kevin Kelly any day, so at least uh, Rev Pro were onto a winner with that. Yeah, he was really objecting to them fighting on the outside, especially yeah. after the bit where he got shoved in. Save that um, for your podcast, mate. <laughs> he, he was he was getting so angry about it. I was like, "You did commentate yeah. during the Attitude Era, yeah? Like, I didn't just dream that." Imagine it that during the someone... Attitude Era, all he did. Imagine he was just complaining about the fact that it wasn't his kind of wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> my god! Like, I mean, so it was just like, oh, I didn't like. I did enjoy the bit with Josh Barnett, just sort of all of a sudden, ghost going the fuck you do when they kind of shoved <laughs> into the barrier, getting up and getting into Jay White's face. I, I don't want to see that. the match, though. No, the match will be all horrible. Yeah. That's the but, area of New Japan that none of us are a fan of. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think Ross and Barnett aren't a very good announcer. It was amazing if 13-year-old Joe could hear, could hear 31-year-old Joe say that he prefers Kevin Kelly to Jim Ross. Jesus. <laughs> I hated Kevin Kelly when he used to commentate Heat back in the day, but yeah, I... I now I take him any day of a JR. If if I can say one thing also about the commentary, and this is leading into the into the UK shows, mm. I, some of the the VOD that I did catch, I did enjoy Andy Boy Simmons, and it was interesting listening to it after hearing him on the podcast saying about the amount of prep that he, that Quilden was saying that you need to do, and I thought he was really good because he was there kind of providing some of the gaps in in Rev Pro Canon to, to Kevin Kelly, who was already very clued up, so. Mm. I, I, I did enjoy their dynamic. He kind of played down the, the slightly heelish, but it was more sort of the Don Callis side of heelish. So it was it, it, Steve Carino-ish, yeah, yeah. which is what Kelly works best with. They're not like, like physically threatening him or anything daft like that. So yeah, I, I, the commentary I have heard, I've kind of enjoyed it. Well, let's get into day one then, because yeah, Kevin Kelly's a big part of it for me, because I watched the VOD, both of you guys were, were there live in Milton Keynes, and I agree, I think both both men did a, did a solid job, Kevin Kelly definitely did his research, even on the, the British guys, he, he was, you could tell, um, he was referencing mm. uh, things, and, he, and he'd done his work, uh, unlike some other commentators we can mention, but let's get into day one, I mean, we're going to go very quickly through the undercard, because there's not a, a huge amount to say on, on some of these matches, but just uh, as you two were live there in the building, and I mean, how was the day? How was the venue? What did you make of the uh, the ice arena in Milton Keynes? I uh, went to the f- most b- 
busy Weatherspoons or busy pub I've ever been to in my life. Horribly hot in there. Wanted to watch the Argentina-France game, football. Uh, had to leave. Um, <laughs> yeah. Couldn't deal with it. So we ended up in Nando's watching um, mm. the game on JP's phone uh, and then made our way over to the venue on a scorching hot day. Got to say, the venue itself, yeah. uh, we went to there for what culture a couple of years ago. This was a real improvement. It's, a, it's quite a nice venue as venues go. Mm. R- nicely air conditioned, really nice temperature inside. Um, got a Papa John's in there as well, yeah, which was uh, exciting. How far to say yeah, yeah, I know. Like I've I've been at shows before for FW where they went next door, bought a load of Domino's pizzas, and then slices of Domino's <laughs> for two pound. Like <laughs> this is an an improvement on that. I gotta say. Um, so the venue itself, I thought was cool. The layout, and I thought the actual way the arena looked. I thought they'd done the best job they could do to make it look as legitimately new japan like as possible mm. with like the canvas and the actual like appearance of the ring and some of the graphics they'd used um the seats i don't know if jp wants to comment on the seats at all because you did sit down for a little bit didn't you? i sat down a little bit but it was mainly because i had my kids mm. so we were we were kind of sat down during the first match with joe's brother uh sam and then it was like oh we, and then sam got up to stand and then we Joe had found a really good standing spot, which was only about eight rows back, which considering we'd only paid 20 quid, it was like, oh, this is great. So we had a really good view and there was a couple of spare seats there. So as a venue and as an experience, and it finished at a nice time. We don't live that far from Milton Keynes. So it kind of worked really nicely for that. Um, So there was kind of, and because I had low expectations because of the card, I think I was just a lot more amenable to this show than perhaps Manchester, which had a bit of heightened expectation Mm, around it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's it, the difficulty is... Although, I mean, oh, sorry, no, I was going to say, al- although when the great O'Khan came out, <laughs> it was like, what the fuck is going on here? Um, how yeah. was he yesterday, Joe? I should... he's, he's, that's what I was about to say. He's the type of person, I mean, we'll, let's get into that. He, he was the first match out. Feels like he's more of a York Hall, or not even York Hall, he's a cockpit kind of guy rather than coming out in this, this massive venue to what, watching on the VOD. He sounded like a, a wet fart of a response. Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> um, I quite like Shota Amino, what I've seen of him, but yeah. th- this was just confusing and everyone was kind of distracted by this oh. weird gimmick. So, and I think that happened on night two and it happened at the cockpit yesterday as well. Imagine if they just put on Shota Amino versus Oka in a Young Lions match and then just Oka was left there, basically, to work in Ref Pro. It'd be like, even if he did something silly after that, there would have been a good initial impression made with just having the authentic Young Lions match at the start of a show. That would well, have been quite nice. It's the great O'Khan's time now, mate. So, you know. <laughs> it's his world and we're all living in it, isn't yeah. it? There does seem to be like a, a cool fan base growing. Do you feel that in the in the cockpit, John? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did. I definitely did. And I think it's going to continue from here. <laughs> Well, we'll talk a little bit more about him on day two, but let's get into the second match. Uh, Aussie Open against Yujiro uh, and Taiji Shimori. Uh, I suppose an audition of types for Aussie Open. They've had a few of these. Uh, New Japan have uh, seen plenty of them now. Uh, what did you guys make of the match and what do you think of the, the prospects in in New Japan? Do you think the people that are a tag team that they, they could use and a tag team that they'd realistically be interested in? 
Um, I think in terms of their ring work, I think, yeah, and I think they'd add something. I think maybe the aesthetic needs a little bit of work because I saw them against Tanahashi and Juice in um, New Orleans earlier this year, and there was a real difference in the kind of aesthetic of like how both teams uh, kind of looked, if anything. So I think maybe a little bit of work on um, the image would definitely help Aussie Open to some degree because the ring work, they've got absolutely down pat and they're great as a tag team as well. I thought this was a really fun like this, it wasn't the opener was it it was the second match on the card I didn't really watch the first well match the too opener. closely <laughs> yeah. um, but it kind of felt like an opener it was good to see Ishimori I've never seen before I was a fan of his years ago when he was in Noah um, I think Ishimori when I'm talking about aesthetic just look at that bloke his body looks incredible oh, yeah abs, the way he holds though. himself well, I was just gonna sorry to interrupt. I was just gonna say, like, but the, the I love the presentation. He's got a great body, but don't you think he kind of looks more Lij than he looks Bullet Club, uh, where with the mask and kind of doing the limping entrance? I don't know if there's there's something to that, but yeah, he he feels like a better fit for them than Bullet Club. I, I can kind of I can see your point because Bullet Club is kind of gent should always kind of be a gaijin faction along with Yujiro, I suppose <laughs> that's kind of. Like so, the idea of a, of a second Japanese wrestler in there just seems kind of odd. It, it, it doesn't shouldn't seem like it's part of it. He should seem like he's more Lij. This they could easily work that type of thing in. But I mean, in terms of a one-off, because it, it 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 felt was this the first time Yujiro had been over? He's probably been over before. Oh, I would yeah, have thought, but just... I've never seen. Oh, you ta- Yujiro Takahashi. Yes. Sorry. I'm getting confused. Um, I've never seen him over here before. Yeah. So there was a kind of uniqueness for that. And Aussie Open did uh, like a, a really good job here. And to say something, I mean, in terms of the aesthetics, uh, it's coming along. I mean, Carl Fletcher has gotten bigger. I was thinking back on this when we first saw him in that doing that dark match at Fight Club Pro, and how you know he was wafer thin there. And you can see him building up. You can see that there is some kind of work going on. I mean, I think they could do a lot worse than get them in for tag league. Absolutely. I think the only question for me is what division you put them in. Um, just because of, like you say, Fletcher needs to put that weight on. So, I mean, he's very much a lightweight, whereas, yeah, Davis is very much a heavyweight. I think that's the only real problem there. But, yeah, if you can put some bulk on, uh, I think they could they could certainly offer something. Um, moving on then, the uh, the next match was uh, David Starr and, and Tiger Mask. Um, this was one where I, I think the... I don't know if they played up the ineptitude of the ring announcer because he said it was for the belt and then Star came out and had to correct him. Um, a nice bit of, uh, I don't know, work um, being similar to reality. Uh, but yeah, a, a good match. Lots of David Star stalling. He's, uh, I love the character that he's got uh, in the Rev Pro universe. I think he's brilliant at it as being this hateable heel and some of the unfortunate real life Twitter he gets from the uh, the people who will boo him when he says he's really good at Twitter um, it does play up, pay off in, in, in a Rev Pro set and it really ties into the, the character I thought there was a quiet crowd for this one but I thought it was a, a better match th- than I expected I suppose the outrages weren't there at this one maybe um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah I agree with you I think David Starr's character in uh, Rev Pro is awesome and he's a Saints fan so I can't uh, can't not like him really um but i thought this match spoke a lot about the kind of political situation of the booking this weekend as well mm. and i think andy quilden said in his podcast that ghetto booked the matches and booked the finishes of the matches as well and or had an influence on the finish of the matches and i thought this was the prime example of that because really let's be honest like tiger mask and david star 
it should probably be David Stark going over. And as soon as you hear this as non-title, you know that mm. Tiger Mask is going over. I know David Stark got his win back the next day, didn't he? Mm. But it's just a bit annoying that the politics have to play a part. And I think um, the one, I know I'm skipping ahead a little bit here, but the one that was the most obvious was the weird booking of Tai Chi going over Will Ospreay on day two. And I suppose because Tai Chi's now in the heavyweight division, it's like he has to go over Osprey because Osprey is a junior wrestler. Is that stuff kind of that's bollocks? Isn't it? Yeah, it's only the gut that yeah. gets him in the heavyweight division as well. It's just the fact that he's got a bit of a, a gut going for him that they've got him in that division. Yeah, I hate that. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought that played a part as well because obviously you had the Aussie Open match and Aussie Open probably shouldn't have been with him when Ishimori was in there as well. I get that. But that played a part there and it just made a bit a few of the results a little bit obvious. But then again, we got Walter going over Yuji Nagata and Yujiro, so that was kind of cool. <laughs> Um, well, well, we'll get into Walter and Yuji Nagata in a second. Uh, before we got there, we had a, a very New Japan six-man uh, with Chaos uh, in there against Suzuki Gun, uh, Desperado, Taichi, and Azuka. This was one where I was watching on the, on the VOD, and I'd, I probably jinxed it because going into these shows, I kind of wanted these kinds of throwaway <laughs> New Japan six-mans because it is it's the legitimate New Japan feel, isn't it? Uh, but it did feel like a waste of uh, Desperado being in there after how much I enjoyed him in, in the Super Juniors. Uh, but yeah, it gave an authentic vibe, but I think, JP, this really spoke to, again, um, not to harp on about that podcast too much, but Andy Quilden was saying he was... Almost, he didn't say he was handcuffed by it, but he did say it was difficult having so many Chaos and Suzuki gun guys, and there's only so many combinations you can actually put together in these shows, which explains why there were so many British guys. And I think this match kind of uh, spoke to that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the thing with this is you had Izuka there, who Joe put him in the direction of a cracking Wrestle War 92 match, is that it? Uh, yeah, match of Saito yeah. versus yeah, the Steiners. Yeah. And you see him here, and it's kind of embarrassing because at least in Japan, when he's coming through the crowd, like the crowd are moving out of the way here, people are like, like they're kind of looking quizzically, as like, like who the fuck is he? I think it's Fujinami. I think it's Tatsumi Fujinami and Izuka. And Izuka gets battered by the Steiners. That's the greatest thing he's ever done. (laughs) You're not into the shenanigans and the eye pokes and the the eye roll to the finish here? It's Uh, typical. It's like you say, it's New Japan, but it's the part of the New Japan shows that you can very safely skip. Yeah. Um, Like, I sort of watch Young Lion matches, then this happens, and then I skip through it until something of substance happens. This is the reason that I was kind of like, almost glad (laughs) that we didn't get a traditional New Japan show in a way and actually thought we are getting the best option here. Because it's like going back to the point we were talking about yesterday. I know we spoke about the two main events and obviously you got the Takahashi Dragon Lee match as well. But the rest of the card was filled out by, apart from Jeff Cobb Goto, Mm. by lots of tag matches between the key talents or like the main event talents. And while it's cool to see the main event guys, we got to see guys get opportunities against some of the more peripheral New Japan wrestlers, as well as uh, some of the legends as well in the Gata. And that was one of the reasons I was kind of into these cars because we got to see something quite unique like you're not going to get osprey kanamaru every day you're certainly not getting walter yuji nagata ever again i imagine <laughs> so it just i don't know i thought that um a lot of people were maybe wanting something that in practice wouldn't have actually been that great <laughs> and what we got was probably better than what we might have got if we got 
full New Japan. I don't know. Mm. Um, but that was my my opinion on it overall. It depends what you're after, doesn't it? I mean, not to, to harp on it too much, but I do... Uh, Mo Chatra did an article in the on the Daily Mirror website where he was essentially calling the thing a con. Um, but one... Th- I mean, I don't agree with him, but there was one point he made that, you know... Would RevPro have sold this many tickets if it was advertised as Global Wars, which it was in a lot of ways, rather than announcing it as a full New Japan show, um, which is what got a lot of people to buy the tickets early on. Um, but I do get your point, because in practice, yeah, I think this what we're finding is uh, this was probably uh, a lot more enjoyable. Maybe it speaks a lot as well. Sorry about the brand as well, about how the brand sells. As, you know what, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so it's like the Rev Pro as a brand isn't going to sell. New Japan as a brand is going to sell. Mm-hmm. I think if they said Rev Pro presents New Japan from the start, yeah. I don't know whether it would have done as well. I still think it would have done pretty well, I've got to say. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I think that'd be. Fun. I think once the talents announcements would have come out, there would yeah, have been that, yeah. that, that that would have added on to it, and then people would have understood the extra cost with the ice rinks and the rest. Yeah, of it, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, you just touched on it there, Joe. Let's get into the next match: Walter and, and Yuji Nagata. A unique match that yet yeah, you wouldn't get on a on a solid New Japan card, but Walter fit in perfectly into the New Japan aesthetic as we expected he would. Um, he's brilliant in here with Yuji Nagata. I found, for me, it brought back some memories of Joe Kabashi. I really enjoyed seeing this, you know, non, uh, you know, he's not a Japanese guy, Walter, but his style, like Samoa Joe, is very influenced by the Japanese heavyweight style. And I just love similar to Samoa Joe in that Kabashi match, the fact that he was kind of disrespectful and condescending to Yuji Nagata, uh, at least in the early stage of this match. And it, it just gave us a an awesome uh, heavyweight clash that you, you just wouldn't get anywhere else. Yeah, I was really happy with this one. I was super excited when it was announced as well. And I thought there was a little bit of miscommunication at the beginning, mm. uh, but they seemed to get more comfortable with one another as the match went on. Um, I, I've not really seen Walter face many uh, Japanese heavyweights before either. Mm. And it felt like a different sort of match for Walter. Everything Walter's got lined up with several Japanese heavyweights feels fresh, if anything. So you think you've got... Uh, the likes of Ishii maybe to come, Minoru Suzuki as well. And this match was kind of like the starting point. as like a proving ground to get him to that point. I thought Walter winning in convincing fashion was the best way to go, considering what they were doing here. Walter's a man on his way up, Nagata's a man on his way down at 50. But for a 50-year-old man, yeah. my God, this guy's still good. Like, seriously, some of the sort of emotional moments that you can kind of bring at a situation still as well mm. and the way that he can build a moment and get the best out of walter i thought was pretty impressive i gotta say what did you make of this one jp uh, did uh, i mean on night two you had a, a nice chat with uh, eugene nagata about yeah. it as well and you got uh, his viewpoint yeah his viewpoint was that walter needed more experience and i think my initial react my initial internal reaction was like fuck off no, no, he <laughs> you didn't but say that though. I'm sure you did. Absolutely no way I would have said that. Too. Um, was it like Fit Finley thinking Zack Sabre Junior was crap? It wasn't like that. It wasn't as bad as that. That's shocking take from Fit Finley, really. Yeah, it? do you not know that? No. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a whole thing, wasn't there? I remember hearing rumours about him and Regal not liking Zack Sabre's style because they thought it was a bit soft. Uh, that's not the word that I, that I heard them alleged to have used. But yeah, that's basically the point. Oh. Oh, that's shocking! I've lost, I've <laughs> but, lost the li- 
It's like a little part of me I feel like I've, I've taken us off on a tangent there. <laughs> you have, haven't you, with that? I, um, I think Eugene Agassi this... was, was talking in kayfabe sense as well, wasn't he? I don't think yes. he was slagging Walter to you. No, no, no. He, he, he wasn't as well. And, and like you say, I mean, this is the times I've seen him. I mean, I've really enjoyed him. as pes- I know that he lost every match in that last G1 run he had as well. But you see that the kind of crowd and the way they emotionally react to him. Mm. And it's... And so... He's like your kind of your acid test of mm. getting through into New Japan. I think Walter did really well. They would have seen the reactions. I pray that Walter is doing New, New Japan and not WWE. Mm. Like I just think for like what he can deliver and what he could possibly deliver in the ring and the kind of dynamics. I mean, like you know, you kind of put him in what is the bad luck Farley style role. Ooh. That you, what an upgrade you're getting there. <laughs> You're yeah. saying you don't want to see him do a World War II general gimmick in WWE or a yeah. comedy gimmick where he's Uta from The Simpsons, yeah. maybe. Yeah, they will do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think he is definitely... He's someone who I would say throughout this weekend, and we'll get into the rest of his booking. I, I mean, most of the booking was geared around what he's going to be doing in RevPro going forward, but it does give me confidence that, you know, as we know, apparently Gado is very much involved in the big booking of these shows they don't mm-hmm. just put anybody um over a Nagata on a stage like this at least or they're not going to just put you know over um Yujiro in the style that he went over as well uh, so it does give me some faith that uh that he's he's at least on their radar you're exactly right as well because uh Nagata's done several shows of Rev Pro and he's never lost a match um I think he beat Pete Dunne he beat Zach Gibson he beat Trent Seven in a great match as well yeah I'm sure there's one other that I'm forgetting as well but previously when Nagata's been over he's been but kind of strong and against name British talent so for them to actually say right here you go give Walter the win you know that there's a direction and there's you know Walter is on their radar and I hope hope he gets there definitely uh, up next, we had uh, Yoshihashi and Chris Brooks. Uh, this was one I really struggled to get into on the VOD. I don't think yeah. there's much to say, really. It was another example of what you were talking about earlier with mm-hmm. Brooks, who's kind of the greater uh, hope of, of uh, the non-WWE UK uh, indies at the moment, getting beaten clean. Then he was sick the next day, so this was all we got to see him in this setting. I know Yoshihashi has the, the G1 coming up, unfortunately, but yeah. Uh, not a result I was fussed on and not a, a match I was particularly fussed on either no um, Yoshihashi does nothing really for me um, I, it's hard to see the time where he's going to become like something substantial just in ring it, it doesn't really do it for me as well I'm kind of glad Chris Brooks is going to be going back to CCK for a bit mm-hmm. I think that might help and I think it'll be kind of a nice little nice change for him and there's some good feuds he can get into in Rev Pro and Attack I'm kind of looking forward to what will inevitably be them and Aussie Open mm-hmm. having a bit of a series as well I'd be be happy with that so I think for Chris Brooks it might you know it'll be the kind of thing that just it just gets forgotten about in the annals of time and um, you'd hope he'd get he'll get another chance when they're back over at some point in the future. Sure. Uh, up next, then we had uh, Kanamaru and Osprey. Uh, this was a match where I kind of I think a lot of I was part of not the heavy criticism, but I did think this Milton Keynes card looked weak. And part of it for me was I was hoping for maybe a bit more of an attractive uh, Will Osprey match. But actually, mm. when it came to it, and you can tell me what it was like live, I thought this was awesome. Osprey oh. was, it was hot from the start, wasn't it? And that he was Osprey was super over going in, 
and Kanemaru's heat was better just because of how over Osprey was. Just really surprising, but great semi-main event. Yeah, this was an absolute belter. Yeah. Um, Os- I, I love how over Osprey was as well. He felt like a returning hero, if anything, with the evasion he got and the Ospreys coming home chance. That was kind of cool. Um, I thought this was awesome. Uh, I'll be, be honest with you, when I saw it announced, I thought, okay, that that's got potential to be good. When do you see Osprey have a bad match? Okay, we did on the second night, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but Osprey is probably the, the most consistent wrestler in the world, if you ask me, you think about how many guys have had their best match with Will Ospreay. That is a long list of guys who have had great matches with Ospreay. And I thought this was no different. I love the length of it. Ten minutes sprint, balls to the wall. Kanemaru hit a couple of massive spots in there, which mm. Ospreay sold really well. Got to say, Ospreay selling is... I don't, I don't understand the criticism of him as someone who can't sell very well. Guy's insane. Like... I massively get into his matches on a story-based level as well now, I find. And I find that the hope spots that were put in there after Kanemaru's like, major spots where he got Osprey down with that DDT out on the, the DDT on the ramp and the way that that really impacted and people kind of went with as well. I thought the match was laid out really nicely mm. and it was a really nice lead into an epic main event. You had a really short sprint-like junior match to lead into, you know, an epic encounter, which we got in the main event, if anything. So I thought this was really good booking. I think Kanemaru, he's not been amazing since he's been in New Japan, but he's had good years. I remember he was in Noah, um, and he was in Noah for years, obviously. I remember seeing him years ago. He had decent matches with Kenta, from what I remember. He was in a tag team that was very good. So he's a wrestler with a lot of experience, Mm. and I thought that this was a good match to make. Definitely. Definitely. Yep, very much enjoyed this one. Just a, a fun match. And yeah, I think you've covered it all there. I think both men look great and Kanemaru looked uh, tremendous in defeat. So definitely nothing lost there. Uh, we then went into our main events for the Red Pro Tag Team titles. Uh, a match that uh, felt like a big deal uh, on the entrances. Again, just watching on the VOD, Okada, Rishi, Zack Sabre, Minoru Suzuki. Everyone looked like a star. It did feel like a step up. Maybe part of that's the, you know, the rest of the card not being full of huge matches, but this felt like a proper main event. We did have the ring announcer uh, almost stepping over Kazi Nina Ray, uh, mm. which is not a good look. Okada did kind of do his house showy kind of entrance, but I think he's kind of playing up that, you know, he's lost now that he, he hasn't got his title anymore. But yeah, a, a, an awesome match. Uh, lived up to the billing. I heard you guys raving about it before I went in and watched it. And although it was very much a preview of night two uh, with the exchange mm. between the four men, um, it was a great preview and a, and a great match that I think uh, stands up on its own merits as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, these four, because I mean, you, you had all the kind of intertwining stories that had been going on between them. And this is one of the things that we all love. New Japan is these kind of long form stories that go on for a really long time. So you've got Ishii and Suzuki. You've got Zack and Okada's story. You've got the fact that Zack and Suzuki are tag champs. You've got Suzuki Gun Chaos. There's all these kind of factors that are playing into it that are, that are really good. And they don't phone it in. This isn't like watching a WWE house show where effectively you're going to get a, a, don't get me, a very basic match. Effectively, you're not going to get anything that's going to sort of set the world on fire. Whereas this, this felt like new Japan. Like at this point it did, it felt like a big new Japan tag main event setting up, um, 
a, a, a title match the next night. And for that, it, it really worked. I mean, especially those um, Ishii-Suzuki exchanges that got you excited for the next night as well. I mean, they were just vicious as hell. Yeah, I thought that this was this was my favourite match over the weekend, if anything. Um, one of the things I think uh, Andy Quilden deserves credit for is the way that he's used the Rev Pro titles. He's made them into a much bigger deal, and he's turned them into titles that can be defended um, and can be fought over by New Japan wrestlers on major shows as well. So they almost feel like they're belts that are an extension of the New Japan product, if anything, which I think is massive credit to him because um, you get them seen a national platform uh, sorry an international platform as well and you often get like like i said about the long beach show lots of matches in new japan between the different factions so yesterday we got zack saber jr and um suzuki against ishii and yano and here you obviously replace yano with okada and it looks like it's just another one of those tag matches leading into a bigger show or a bigger event at some point but it's for a tag title. Now, it's rare that those matches are ever for tag titles because the scenes are kept completely differently. Mm. And I'm a, I'm a massive fan of 90s All Japan. And in 90s All Japan, you always got the top guys also defending and competing for the tag titles. You had Kawada and Tawei. You had uh, Kabashi and Masao at one point. Um, you had... Uh, Misawa and Akiyama. Sorry, not Misawa and Akiyama. Yeah, it was Misawa and Akiyama at one point as well. So you got all of these combinations that had these great tag matches in these really heated environments, and it almost feels like that's what he's maybe trying to do with these with these Rev Pro titles because you've got these two major New Japan teams competing in this kind of more heated environment and heated match than you might get for this match at say a Corrigan Hall, mm. and they really lived up to it. They realized they were in a main event situation on a slightly different show to where they'd usually compete against one another in a tag. And they really delivered. I thought this match was fucking awesome. Some of the moments that you got in this match between the different combinations of wrestlers, the teases between Suzuki and Ishii to lead to the next night as well. Just so, so, so good. Like, yeah, I was going pretty mad for this match. I'm not going to lie can't blame you i could watch ishii and minoru suzuki punch each other in the head, elbow each other in the head forearm each other in the head for for days and it's always great isn't it um oh, and yeah, yeah you talked about the teams there i mean uh, we compared this to the usa cards before but i definitely think we'd all take uh, okada as an upgrade over yano uh, and it very much was a, a much superior match because of it but yeah just the, the combinations of the four men being in there the fact that you've got ishii who can sell like no one else and he's getting to make the hot tag to kazuchika okada is just you know you're going to get a great match when you've got uh, okada playing robert gibson uh, it's always going to be great and yeah it, i think it worked as a as a preview of night two but it also, again, in isolation, worked as a, a really, really awesome match and, and a great main event for day one. I don't think you're going to see many better tag matches than this this year, mm. <laughs> honestly. And it, it was so good in the way it was structured as well because I'm a big fan of a spotty tag match, but this was so different to, say, a spotty CCK tag match that we, we often see in the UK. This felt like a, a fight. If anything, it felt like two teams fighting over these tag titles. Mm -hmm. And then I think the end as well of the show, where you've got Suzuki and Zack 
posing with their tag titles and the way they were it made those titles seem like a massive deal like they're stood there with the prize at the end of a night i thought that was a great way to get your titles over that little bit more as well yeah, yeah i'm a big that. sorry yeah Go on, Jeff. i was gonna say i'm a big fan of having tag titles like headline shows um I was a fan of it, like WCW used to do it in the very early 90s as well. And it really adds meaning to it. And it always can add potential. And I kind of second a lot of the comments about having your big guys together for that. And if, you know, the team that beats Zack and Suzuki, that's going to be a hell of a moment. Yeah, yeah. Like, where do they go with these titles next? I'm sure you line them like... Yeah, I think you line them up for a shot. But I think you look for... uh, another major major main event match that you could do between two teams for these titles i don't know who it would be next though i've been trying to have a think i don't yeah. know if there's any other combination of japanese guys i'd love to see walter and timothy thatcher challenge from oh, at some oh, point i think that would be one. great yeah, yeah that's what they should be going for i'd love that and you could yeah you could use that you could even have a any sheet tag somewhere in the build to that too um yeah the, yep. the possibilities are, are definitely endless there um, so yeah, that pretty much uh, wraps us up for day one. Let's get into to day two. This is where I joined you guys live. Met you in the Cheshire Tap in uh, Altrincham. Me and you, JP, we had some of the jerk chicken, which was uh, which was great yeah. stuff. Made added to the day for sure. Um, it, it was weird being in the in the Cheshire Tap with pretty much half of my Twitter timeline being in there. Always a, <laughs> a fun experience. Uh, but yeah. Um, I was a little bit, uh, I don't know, hesitant going into it being a nice arena. I've heard people going to what culture shows there, and it didn't really sound like like my kind of venue. Um, it's still, I don't know, there's something a little bit hollow about the, these ice arenas. It could have been the fact that uh, when I went in, we walked straight in. I paid £30 for my ticket, but nobody checked it. Walked right in, didn't go to our seats at any point, uh, and just stood um, by the merch table uh, and watched from there. Uh, but it is a it's an interesting little venue just from not a little venue big venue uh just as far as sight lines go i believe the people uh, in the stands and the seats were were boiling to death um whereas you guys managed to find the for for your did you pay 20 pound tickets and yeah again yeah. eight or nine rows from the front yeah i i, I just like standing up at shows i, I hate yeah. sitting down i don't know why um I like standing up at football matches as well. I, I just prefer to stand. I feel like I can concentrate more mm. when I've stood up. I don't know why, but we uh, we had a good spot that we managed to find as well. Mm. This venue was a little bit different in that it was bigger a lot in older. terms of, yeah, it could seat more people, but it was definitely older, and that was felt with the lack of air conditioning mm. um, in the building as well. It was a lot warmer than the night before. I mm. swear my ass off at points of this not gonna lie um <laughs> one of the things about these hockey venues is they're quite hard to manipulate as well when you've got say an arena with tiered seating it seems like it's slightly easier to kind of specify the arena to what you think is the best setup for your show whereas this is very fixed if anything mm. so um i did have a seat for the night before that i went and sat in for a little bit and it was up in the stands of milton Keynes, and the sight lines weren't great by any means um i'm not sure what they were like in manchester but yeah it it, it's not an easy venue to go into and kind of change around and it's not going to be perfect for everyone if that Mm. makes sense it's just it's the difference isn't it as well between a 200 seat uh, cockpit and you know when you've got a pit there aren't many choices are there for, for venues of this size you kind of i was looking at it thinking oh when they come back maybe they could run somewhere else i know 
defiant use that uh, convention center don't they bowlers which it's a bit of a dead zone itself i'm not a huge fan of that but i was kind of trying to think of well where mm-hmm. else could they run and there isn't really anywhere is there so coventry uh, sky though yeah it's another kind of similar, ice, isn't, isn't it, it? Mm, it's another planet ice i didn't know that yeah i'm yeah. gutted every time so my girlfriend lives in coventry so i walk past it loads and i always think oh and then the one time they were doing wrestling we were on holiday typical <laughs> mexican qualifiers but maybe um that'll, maybe that'll be on the next uh the, the next uh, it's, tour it's something that we will always lack because um we, we we kind of lack those mid-range college arenas that are kind of everywhere throughout the US which seat that kind of 5,000 to 7,000. Well, you think about we, sport as well. And yeah. That sport, indoor sports, yeah. really aren't, don't have that much popularity yeah. in this country as spectator sports, do they, to the point that you're going to make 5,000-seat arenas? Yeah. Not to the point of like five to 8,000 yeah. every yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even darts, which does big numbers and some of the kind of bigger arenas they that's only for a sort of fixed run yeah along the premier yeah, league yeah. so we don't have those and i think that's that's an issue sure. uh, yeah okay well let's get into this uh, this day two card i did it could be the fact of where i was standing i did eventually come and join you guys in your perfect standing spot for the big matches <laughs> but there wasn't a lot to write home about in this first half um no. the first match i mean we've already talked a lot about great so calm but I was uh, in the pub still watching the, the World Cup game uh, where Russia uh, went through on penalties and we were just like, oh, great O'Connor's in the ring. Yeah, let's, let's just stay here and watch the end of the pens. Um, and I don't think we missed much there. Uh, again, nope. a character who seems to be getting a cult following, but meh, not exactly for me as it is. We then went into Shota Ramuno and, and Yuji Nagata. This was one that did feel very legit new japan i'll let you take the the lead on this one uh, jp because it was very much a, a standard young lions kind of match and that's your that's your thing isn't it yeah it was and uh show rubino sort of um bit of an upgrade to two knee pads so he's kind of not far off excursion territory here um and he's he's probably like he's the one with the sort of the most fire of the young lions i haven't gone out on excursion at the moment so i mean he's the one who you could see him filling out to be a heavyweight. He was on the merch tables as well, which I don't know. I kind of wanted him ringside doing young line duty, but anyway, there you go. Yeah, it was, it was, it was really good for what it was for the young line. And it's kind of about Nagata beating him down. So show Rumino shows fire, um, you know, and he got, you know, he did a lot of the, the kind of Boston crab stuff. So I really enjoyed it for what it was. I was trying to explain to my kids at, this point about young lions in general and why they wear this and they weren't interested <laughs> Got it. Uh, i did uh, i did enjoy when i did stand with the jp that your kids were giving me an, an overview on what they think of our podcast apparently they enjoy it when joe gets angry so uh more of that oh, they'll be enjoying uh, this week uh, they were enjoying the trip there when jp uh plugged his phone and subjected me to the prog cast with uh <laughs> Like a kayfabe podcast in 2018 in a company called Progress. I, I, you could argue what's old is new, but I'd call that regressive, if anything. <laughs> kayfabe like lives on, but kayfabe <laughs> really is dead. Let's be honest. And also, to, on, on another thing that was played was September by Earth, Wind, and Fire because that's what the <laughs> England band have been playing. Who um, is there any chance of not going to the semi? Right, that would be really nice. I'll just throw that in there, sorry. I'll have the tickets. Uh, but we digress. Uh, Sweet. Next, 
Next up, then, we had uh, Walter and Yujiro. We talked a lot about uh, Walter from day one. Again, like I said before, this, for me, felt... It was a good sign for me that it was a very... It did feel like a, like a somewhat one-sided match. There were moments where Yujiro was working over the, the leg of Walter, and it wasn't really getting over because Yujiro's just never that over. Uh, they did give him the girls, which, uh, yeah, it's uh, woke Twitter. I've not actually heard much uh, kickoff about. Uh, I was surprised at that, to be honest, but he didn't get much more in, in Do you think life. they actually watch New Japan? Because you'd think they'd pick <laughs> up on it, wouldn't you? <laughs> they might listen to this podcast, rage on me for a couple of days, and then listen to that bit and find yeah. out this and use that for some material for a few days to keep them going as well so <laughs> we'll see if they pick up on it what did you make of the uh ladies who were accompanying you Jero? me yeah i did look i hope you covered your kids eyes jp they are well, they, they're, they're kind of you know they're, they're teenage lads i just thought i'd their eyes were transfixed they, it was yeah and i just thought i'll just it is what it is. <laughs> Andy Quilden's working wonders for teenage boys, eh? <laughs> he really is, isn't he? He's going hard for that demographic. <laughs> These kids grow up fast, JP. It's just the way no. it is. God, <laughs> they do. <laughs> One thing that was pretty oh, weird is uh, the Udro ladies were walking around the Milton Keynes venue all night taking pictures of people. So like, after the Udro match, they were up in the stands taking pictures like pictures together with fans and when i saw them on the floor later on and i, I don't know if they were charging or what but Hopefully they, were. they were very popular that evening that's for sure <laughs> Yeah, hopefully they've learned something there. They've charged some money. It just, yeah, it doesn't feel like a, a very wrestling show kind of thing. But if people were going up and, uh, and paying the money, you can't know. Uh, it's very odd. Very it was odd. like being at Max Power Live or something. You <laughs> <laughs> really was. That's Tim Westwood. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, up next, after that mercy killing from Walter, we had uh, Taichi and Will Ospreay. Um, yeah, <laughs> the oh, commentary struggle. Shite, isn't it? So bad. I mean, I I think this was the first match where I was still with you guys, and I didn't hate it live. And then I watched it back on the VOD. I was like, nope, this is terrible. I understand why everybody hated it. I think I was just enjoying the fact that I could actually see the action for once. I mean, Taichi is is he worth this? Is it worth putting him over Will Ospreay and sucking no. all the air out of the building? I don't see it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. This first half of the card was missing that killer Will Ospreay match. It needed that to kind of tip it over the edge, going into the intermission. As soon as I thought Ospreay before intermission, I thought, oh, we're going to go into the intermission on a real high here. He'll get something out of Tai Chi. He's bound to get something out of Tai Chi. He can get something out of anyone. Mm. I was wrong. <laughs> like, you know what? <laughs> one... Try? Yeah, it, Will Ospreay is a wrestler Tai Chi match, and Tai Chi looked like he didn't give a shit. Yeah. Let's be honest. And I felt, felt bad for Will, because I'm sure he's gutted, because he prides himself on delivering and giving the best he's got every night. And this was... The worst Will Ospreay match I'd ever seen, oh. and you know what? He was, he was, he does, he he can get away with that. He gets a free pass because that man has gone above and beyond for us constantly in the ring yeah. to the point he's basically killed himself, and you know is scared the shit out of me at times. So you know, at least he came out of this one alive. There you go. We'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I hope that on future tours, I think we will get future tours. We we get that bigger Will Ospreay match because he certainly could have main evented one of these two shows and not looked out of place. I'm absolutely certain they will do a Will Zack match again for the Rev Pro title at some point. Mm. Uh, like because they 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 when they've returned to that match, 
there are things that they've thrown in that build upon uh, the previous match, and it feels like a destination they will go back to eventually. But that's a tangent. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Uh, up next, then, we had our four-way for the British title. Uh, David Starr, Ishimori, El Fantasma, and Tiger Mask. Again, David Starr was great here as the the whiny heel willing to do anything to, to keep a hold of his belt. But I really did think the man that, that shined here was El Fantasma. And it definitely felt in the yeah. building that uh, he wasn't quite as, as known here. But I think it, it's safe to say we'll have uh, walked out with some, some new fans. Absolutely. With that, with the walking the rope into the, um, oh, what was it? He did the the flip, I can't think of the name of it. He did a springboard shooting star. He did the rope walk into a springboard shooting star press. press. Mm -hmm. Sorry. And that was, uh, you know, it's fantastic. We've seen him really progress from when he first arrived, where he kind of, it it just looked like a knockoff um, Angelico, frankly. But at this point, he's having really good matches on a consistent basis, getting booked in more places, um, which is really good to see. I don't know how much longer he's going to be over for. I'm assuming he's been over for about a year. It can't be far off off that for, for Fantasma Yeah, I think now. it's been about a year. So it might be another year or so. There is a really good US indie run in him as well at some point. And, you know, he, he did really well here. It's a loaded junior division in New Japan, so you have, he's done very well to stand out mm. in that way. I, I, again, but I like the way that Star came in, saw, tore the mask off Tiger Mask and got his pin back and and did it that way. I, I, I really enjoyed this. It was a way to wake the crowd up after yeah, the mission as well. really I did. I, I, I kind of say, I mean, I'll give some credit here for Tiger Mask. I, I quite liked him in this match. He felt motivated. <laughs> he was more over than I, th- I think I've ever seen him on a show. He even got like the cool hero send off at the end, didn't he? Um, yeah. So I suppose that that's yeah. yeah. It goes to the you know the argument of do you treat these two shows as as a pair? And if you do, they kind of did it. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of Tiger Mask going over on day one, but it was nice to see a story paid off over these these two days uh, with David Starr going over. Um, but yeah, just a, a shout out to him. There, I never expect much from Tiger Mask, but I didn't think he was awful this weekend. He had a, you know what, he's, I think he's solid. He was over last year for that um, J Cup. Had a good match with Marty on that, I remember yeah, yeah, as well. He so he's been genuinely enjoyable and worked hard when he's come over here. So fair play to him. Definitely. Up next was a match that uh, that might split uh, a few of us. Carl Fletcher and Switchblade, Jay White. Um, I would say I much preferred the, the Jay White match that was on the uh, on the US cards. Uh, this is yeah. a match that, that came about was supposed to be Chris Brooks. I do think it was an upgrade. I think I prefer Kyle Fletcher as a, a singles guy over Chris Brooks. Uh, I do remember the first time I saw Kyle Fletcher when he had the plane ring gear. I did think he looked like a smaller Jay White, so it's kind of cool that you get to see this match between the two of them. I did think it was a bit long, uh, but I hear people talking about this and almost giving it maybe not quite match of the night on us, but but coming close. Um, where did you two land on this one? I thought it was like a re- it was like a really pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. But I had to say beforehand, Jay White, Chris Brooks wasn't something I was I was particularly excited about. Um, I think I might well have seen sort of my favourite Jay White match in the match he had in with Juice Robinson in the in the G One special. I kind of I really enjoyed that for what it was. But this was really pleasing, and I watched it again on the VOD. And what was really nice about it was the story that the commentators were saying in terms of Carl Fletcher being 19 years old, and you know it was really surprising people and sort of filling in the gaps. 
that you know he's doing very much that journey he's doing the the kind of moving away from home at a young age like Jay White did so he played that in quite nicely and even worked the botch into the finish with the kind of sort of the the younger wrestler mistake that leads yeah. that led up, led up to him losing. And I, and I liked that because even though it was like a botch and it didn't take it away from it. I mean, he seemed very upset afterwards, but I'm sure when he goes back and watches it, realizes that kind of bizarrely added to the match. It wasn't absolutely amazing because Jay White really hasn't found himself yet. I've got a bit more faith than Joe that at some point that he will do. Um, but it may not be for a few years yet being honest these things are going to feel like very long form projects mm, yeah to me I, I i'm a big kyle fletcher fan big aussie open fans already said jay white i really liked as a young boy and i think his fundamentals are absolutely sound but i just don't know about this gimmick and i don't know about him as a performer in the gimmick and how he just looks so unnatural when he pulls it's not someone is it? no. describe it i can't remember i was on a podcast saying that he's a, he's basically an introvert trying to play an extrovert and you can just see <laughs> yeah. it's written all over his face isn't yeah. it, in this character he feels more like he should be i don't know lance storm <laughs> yeah. and instead he's doing like i don't know a bad comparison bray wyatt awful comparison <laughs> um, but yeah it doesn't come across as natural in any way at all and it just everything about everything that he does in terms of having to do like facials in terms of doing like taunts and poses in the ring it just feels so awkward and kind of cringy. And it's like man pretending to be fake wrestler, if anything. And mm. yeah, I'm not sure I would have put him with this gimmick, to be honest, because I think it's kind of, I don't know, holding him back a little bit, really. And I don't, I don't, I don't know many people have been impressed with him since he's adopted this gimmick. But I know when he was a young boy, I remember me and JP talking about how great this Jay White guy looked. Yeah. And the first time I saw him over at Rev Pro as a young boy, he looked awesome. But yeah, I'm hoping that he finds himself within yeah. this gimmick at some point because at the moment, yeah, it's not really working. If you ask me. I would say, I mean, the like, we're not here to review it, but we talked about it a lot. The match with Juice Robinson convinced me a little bit more on him. Yeah, it was um, a good match. And the angle stuff as well, like we mentioned earlier with Jim Ross and Josh Barnett. That was a bit more, felt a bit more organic. But yeah, he, he goes hot every now and then. I'll get a, a, a bit of hope uh, for, for Jay White in this gimmick. And then I'll, he'll just remind me that he's basically doing a bad Kenny Omega cleaner uh, imitation. Um, One of my thoughts watching that Juice Robinson match, though, was you've got two guys who are both doing gimmicks and you've got one who comes across as so natural, so charismatic mm. and so confident and so likable within his gimmick. And he just looks so comfortable, whereas you've got another guy who just <laughs> looks so awkward mm. and you know juice robinson's a real natural baby face jay white doesn't come across as a natural heel like he worked his ass off yesterday i'll give him credit i thought it was a, it, probably the best jay white match i've seen outside of that osprey match in ring of honor last year but i thought juice robinson almost exposed jay white more because he looked so natural and is so charismatic in doing what he's doing mm, definitely yeah uh I, I, again i think i'd, I'd share you I think I've definitely got the critique of the gimmick. But yeah, in ring, I still like him. And yeah, I, I, I personally did like this match with Fletcher. Um, and like JP said, I kind of, he looked devastated when he, he slipped on the top rope, but it did play into to the match and it almost looked planned and made for a more tragic story. So yeah, as much as I, I'm not completely sold on Jay White, I'd certainly watch a rematch here between uh, Fletcher and Jay White if they if they do do uh, returning shows. Um, if they 
if if it build, if it sorry if it builds to sort of an enhanced presence of Aussie Open in general in Rev Pro and they can play off this a bit with Carl Fletcher, then that'll be really good to have come out of that to kind of just build build up that kind of groundswell. Definitely. Okay, moving on then. We had uh, the next uh, two matches with the big matches. These are the ones that even the people complaining couldn't possibly <laughs> complain about. Zack Sabre Jr. and Okada came up first. I mean, this is a rematch from Secure Genesis, isn't it? Um, yeah. Proper New Japan big match. Um, I know Okada obviously doesn't have the belts anymore, and he's he came out without Gado, which I didn't like. I hate that. I'd rather either. Yeah, I'm with you. That. I don't know if that played that's playing into the story or what, but yeah, being there live and seeing the reaction for Okada, seeing the reaction for Zack Saber Jr. as our returning hero, and this was the match where everyone in the building just felt engaged every time Zack Saber grabbed the hold on Okada. He thought he could be near the end, and he'd played off uh, they played off their their past and it was really you got a bit of a, a greatest hit to both men but the, the match itself just told an awesome awesome story um and had an awesome loud reaction for the finish as well this is the match that i've heard people uh, raving about who weren't there and this is the match that yeah being there live in the building i was very glad uh, i came Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like As soon as this match was announced, getting to see an Okada singles match in England in 2018, that's pretty special. You think how few singles matches Okada does in a year, really, and we get to see one? That's a big deal. Like That's a massive deal. Mm. And getting to, getting to see him face someone like a Zack Sabre Jr., you knew it was going to be a competitive match. It wasn't going to be like the... A Carter Joel Redmond match I saw at York Hall yeah. uh, a few years ago. Uh, this was the biggest upgrade on Joel Redmond possible. <laughs> <laughs> like, God, I love this match. It was absolutely awesome. The last 10, 15 minutes, especially when everything led somewhere, everything built upon the next moment. Zach is on fire at the moment as well. Some of his reversals in and out of Okada's manoeuvres, the way that he kept you on the edge of the seat. I love the tease with the um, with the pinfall. So the, uh, what, what what's the pin? European clutch. Yeah, the European clutch. How, how Zach had used it earlier in the match and Okada had kicked out. And then he returned to it and you think, mm. no, surely not, surely not. And he pins him. Like... I did an involuntary little dance at that point. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know what came over me, but I was absolutely amazed that Zach had won. Uh, and I thought it just made the whole pop even big, uh, even better. As a yeah. moment, you're going to remember this more than if Okada hit a Rainmaker and won, as much as that would have been cool to see as well. This was just a great match that I'd recommend anyone go out of their way to yeah. see. And probably one of the best matches that's taken place in this country this year, I'd say. And a real shock. You know, that that was the thing that uh, by the end of it as well, this is going to work itself into canon. I mean, like, they're not in the same block, are they, for G1? No, no, no. But there are obviously at various points on the way down where, where this can be brought up if they have another match. I don't know, let's say Okada wins the G1 yeah. and there's a defence of a case. You can play into that as well. We know in New Japan that everything leads somewhere, yeah, don't it, we? It, so it we, all has meaning. Yeah, we know that this isn't just going to be like 50-50 WWE-style booking where, you know, he beat him a Sakura Genesis. Ah, oh, you have a win now. He's lost the title. This will lead somewhere. This is going to mean something. And we got a match containing Okada that meant something. Like, yeah. that's great. That's fucking awesome. 
you say that, I mean, it meant something, but then, yeah, this a good comparison to the US cards. They then went and put Yano over Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, <laughs> I was kind of scared. Yeah, like, yeah. True. That's a big difference, isn't it? We we got to see our, our hero go over Okada, and the Americans got to see Yano go over Zack Sabre. I don't know if it was a credibility thing for the G1 coming up or what, but that was another case where we certainly got the better deal. Next up, then, we had our, our main event uh, of the two days. And, and what a main event. Uh, a canon New Japan match, uh, Tomohiro Ishii and Minoru Suzuki. I love the fact that the build for this came on a New Japan Pro uh, show proper. It was for the Rev Pro title as well, though, which, as you said earlier, Joe, it's kind of a big thing, isn't it? The fact that the Rev Pro British title is, is, such, is a thing uh, in New Japan canon. Now I could watch these two over and over again. Two men who... Are, two of them just seeing them in the ring together is just it's a joy the two people who are uh, we talked earlier about the elite and about lij being popular with international fans but these are two japanese native wrestlers who i do think have really caught on with western audiences so i don't think there could have really been a better uh, match uh, at least reasonably expecting for a main event and i think they really delivered as well uh, what did you two uh, make of this one live it was uh, certainly something to remember i think Absolutely. Um, really incredible. And these guys, I think, are a combined age of about 89 between mm. them, something like that. <laughs> they are incredible. That's I mean, crazy to think about, isn't it? It's absolutely wild. And to wrestle this style still. Yeah, <laughs> this style and being the shape that they are and the way that they construct their match. Because it isn't like, I mean, the thing that you kind of take away from it sometimes when you watch it is the kind of hard-hitting action for it. But I, what I like about it as well is just it's their it's their rather smaller interactions, Suzuki's kind of character work coming through. Mm. These kind of he two bo- bosses the room, doesn't he? It really does. It like he demands your attention, and it's funny because I think the first time he came over, I felt oh, it sounds bad to say almost, but slightly underwhelmed. I, I didn't get as much from it as what I wanted. But this incarnation of him in Rev Pro has been tremendous. This was great. Um, you even had the nice sort of comedy bit of him going after Chris Roberts every once in a while as well. But I, I loved this. It was the it was the match. That my if the barometer is me dragging around my children for a weekend to watch Japanese wrestling, <laughs> this was the match that they they did wake up for. This they were they were watching this one and they were into it. And um, yeah, it was it was tremendous. The idea of Suzuki as champion that's um perfectly fine with that um if they did a rematch in japan i wouldn't mind and yeah it's brilliant job oh it was great like this i was very very happy with this the fact that we got a match that was built on corican shows that was paid off in altrincham of all places <laughs> this is the counter to everyone's <laughs> argument isn't it yeah it was pretty special and pretty cool i gotta say and the match really 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 did deliver i thought um just the sound of some of those elbows the sound of some of those strikes it was you know something quite sort of i hate this way when this happens i can't get my words out it was something quite um amazing to actually see and actually hear in person considering how many times 
you know, you've watched these guys before in New Japan wrestling other opponents that are New Japan opponents rather than, say, a Rev Pro opponent. Um, I thought this match was fucking awesome. It's probably, it was my second favourite match, I think, of the weekend. I do think the tag match was a little bit better on the first night. But in terms of a big show main event that built and built and built, it was perfect. The actual end spot with the Gotch pile driver and the way that he teased it forever. Oh. And he still, and, was still fighting, wasn't he? Yeah. It, like Ishii's the ultimate fighter, isn't he? Let's be honest. It it just worked. It was great. And it showed, you know, how much Ishii wanted to cling on to his title as well. It showed that, you know, every ounce of fight that he had left in him, he was going to use to try and keep his title. But then the actual... Like well, the moment he hit the gotch pile driver felt like a massive moment because you know no one's kicking out of that gotch pile driver. So to actually do a title change as well, I thought it was a great way to top off this weekend. To be honest with you, definitely. Yeah, that's the thing as well. It made headlines being that big story. It came as a surprise as well, didn't it? Because I believe uh, again, friend of the show Ian Hamilton, we use his uh, backbodydrop.com reviews a lot. He was saying this is the shortest Rev Pro title reign, which I wasn't aware yeah. of. Rishi. And nobody was expecting it, I think, for that reason. I think also the fact that we had a lot of chaos versus uh, Suzuki Goon throughout the the weekend. Um, and it did feel like, I don't know, maybe they went against type with the, with the result here. But either way, it felt like a big surprise. And for that reason, it meant more as well. And I think uh, I've heard people criticize uh, Red Pro for Reliance on New Japan in the past. But I think it's a bit different. I mean, people criticise Ring of Honor for similar things, but I think Ring of Honor would fall apart tomorrow if you take away the New Japan guys. Yeah. I think Rev Pro's got enough of a backbone there. And also, they've got the, the working relationship, haven't they, where it's not going to happen anytime soon. You're not gonna, This relationship is for the long term, and while you've got it, you might as well be doing things like this and having your British title defended on, on Japanese shows, which we either expect going forward, and we're also going to get lots more of Minoru Suzuki in the country, so feels like a win-win to me. Oh, absolutely. And I think on that point as well, like you were saying, I don't think Rev Pro would sell out these shows if they didn't have the Japanese guys, first of all. Mm. But they would still be able to do good business at your call, I believe, and sell it out several times a year. So I think they'd be absolutely fine and there'd be a very steady business that existed there. But the New Japan guys just elevate the cards even more. Mm. They add that little bit more kind of credibility to the promotion as well. But they can bring these guys in who are international stars who are recognizable to people from the second major promotion in the world it's the equivalent of i don't know um all-star promotions being able to bring in wcw guys potentially in the early 90s like imagine the steiners turning up at mined or bogner or somewhere in the early 90s you know this is we're living in a weird time but we're living in a great time if you're a massive wrestling fan as well because there's so much for us mm, mm. and there's so much that we want to see that you know kind of happens i think quilden as well as much criticism as he's got for the way maybe he promoted these shows and then the execution in terms of some of the subtle aspects of the show that do add to the show uh, kind of knows what his fans want i do think he's really in touch with his fan base mm. and i think you can tell that he studies the new japan project uh, product if anything as well even though he's working with them so i think giving us walter versus ishii and bringing walter back to the promotion that he hadn't worked for for a couple of years was an inspired move and he's 
kind of the perfect opponent yeah. for an Ishii going forward, considering just how he's caught on in the last while. If you if you think of Walter in progress, a lot of those matches are variations on things that you've already seen before. This is adding an entirely oh, new yeah. different dynamic so to Walter. Fresh, isn't it? It's completely fresh. I mean, you're planning, you're hoping to come down for that, aren't you, Benno? Yeah, for Sizzler, definitely. Uh, don't search the hashtag Summer Sizzler on Twitter. I learned that the hard way. There's some bad stuff there. <laughs> but yeah, I looked into it and I've, uh, I'm, I've definitely booked my travel because I'm going to come down because they've got me. I mean, Walter's somebody who you can see yeah. work pretty much everywhere right now. He's even He's got a match with Will Ospreay coming up in Defiant, which I can't wait for. But he's working even like my local promotion, TNT. Uh, which is not, you know, a, a fancy promotion or a promotion that you'd expect. You would have expected to see Walter in this time last year. I know WXW have been on their summer break, but it does feel like if you want a Walter match, you can get one very easily. But there is something to be said for being able to deliver that special Walter match. And like you say, mm-hmm. after this after this main event, they set up two perfect programs. Him and Ishii is going to be incredible. And then you've got him and Minoru Suzuki somewhere down the line. Uh, it's just awesome. And... You know, we're about to talk a little bit about NXT UK, but, you know, RevPro are in a situation where they've got this New Japan relationship, and unlike uh, what's happening with Pro- like Progress, I've obviously got the benefit of WWE, but when it comes to Zach and when it comes to Will Ospreay, those wrestlers can be pulled from Progress shows at a moment's, moment's notice, whereas at least RevPro have got that working relationship where that type of thing is, is less likely to happen. And also from that positive working relationship, they can put together matches like this. Um, I'm still unsure on whether Walter... I mean, it feels like if he was going into New Japan, they wouldn't start him off this hot. It's not a very New Japan thing to do. Um, an Ishii program or a Minoru Suzuki program out of the gate. Um, I think you'd expect him to go in a bit lower down the card. So I'm hopeful <laughs> that happens at some point, but I don't think anything... I don't know. I mean, would you agree? I, I think this this booking uh, and Walter being in this position, yeah, it makes me positive for Walter's future and potential with New Japan. But I think at the moment, it's just very much we're going to get to see Walter in Rev Pro going against the New Japan guys rather than uh, turning up in, uh, well, not this year's G1, but a G1 or something like it in the future. Yeah, I always think at the same time, God knows. I think anything can happen yeah, at this point. Yeah. Like, I'm not surprised by anything that can happen or people turning up in places. I'm still waiting for, like, an OTT Rev Pro kind of link up as well. Well, they've I, got a relationship. A relationship. Right, yeah. yeah, I mean, so there are all these kind of wonderful variables, and we are lucky there's enough talent as well that that's out there um, that are going to be able to plug a lot of these gaps. Um, the thing with Walter as well is, I think when you think of traditional Japanese wrestling and the approach to it, and the evil foreigners in Japanese <laughs> wrestling, like obviously that's gone away over time. But if they did want to do an evil foreigner, like he kind of is that evil foreigner. You look at him. <laughs> you, you look at his size. You look, like Vader. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or a kind of Hanson figure. Yeah. You look at his. You look at his figure. You look at his presence. The way he holds himself. He's got that kind of presence of that evil foreigner and not to sound uh <laughs> yeah xenophobic you want him to do the new japan evil foreigner not what wwe would do with him as an evil foreigner yeah i don't want him to do the the nazi general or something that wwe would probably have him do and bradshaw could teach him how to goose step or whatever um 
if you remember that clip from many years ago. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, Walt has got that kind of... If you think about the tradition of the New Japan, or sorry, the Japanese evil foreigner, it is a bigger person. It is a bigger guy who has that presence, who has that recklessness and that hard-hitting style, if anything, as well. And he's got all of that. He's kind of man-made to just go there now if they want to use him. I don't think he will for a while, really. Um... But, you know, they started booking Jeff Cobb as well. Jeff Cobb hasn't done a lot with them, and he got a never open my title shot. But I don't usually give title shots out kind of willy-nilly either. Yeah. So, I don't know. You never know. You never know. I hope to see him there at some point. Mm, definitely. Me too. Um, but, yeah, overall in all, uh, a fun weekend of shows. Um, as much as, you know, we've, we've gone over what people's complaints were going in, I've not seen anyone say they didn't enjoy these two shows or mm. they didn't enjoy the big matches. So I think we did all, all get our, our money's worth in the end, even if there are lessons to be learned, uh, as we said at the start of the podcast. I think you can build on this, can't you? If, uh, if you come back and do more of these shows, maybe you can not give the referees those budget T-shirts and maybe you can pay a little bit more for an for a authentic Japanese ring announcer. There are things you can do, and there's there's upwards uh, you can go, isn't there? And I think maybe some people would be a little bit cautious about buying early next time. Maybe you might see more people waiting for cards and waiting to see what type of shows they are. But I think they are onto a winner here, and I think this is something that you can do pretty much maybe every year going forward or, or even sooner than that. Yeah, I think we'll definitely see it again. It seems like that New Japan relationship is really strong with Rev Pro. So, you know, you've, you're almost certain that this was a success and we will see this again. It's just hoping next year that they manage to diversify the roster a little bit. Hmm. Um, I do yeah. think that they need maybe to get a couple of the stars over next year i think they're going to be very aware of that as well so it's you know making sure that there aren't clashes uh, uh, like there were this year i don't think as andy quilden said in his podcast that the kenny omega gaming convention no. was on the cards at that point as well yeah. let's just hope that that doesn't happen because man do i want to see kota Ibushi over him more than anyone yeah. i don't want to see kenny omega taking him away to some games festival again <laughs> okay well uh, that pretty much wraps us up for, for new japan strong style evolved uh, before we go we got one last segment we wanted to talk about it because uh, we haven't had the chance on this show uh, nxt uk uh, big implications uh, for the scene with, with what's happened with nxt uk we're a, a couple of weeks removed so we're not going to go through the match by match but i am interested guys uh, what did you make of the the tournament and of the rebrand and uh, yeah of the the two shows that uh, wwe have delivered us so far under that banner um it's interesting coming from the shows we've just been talking about and you get two nights here i think they had almost exactly the same attendance in total mm. between them. So you had five yeah. and a half thousand people there for sort of mm. both shows that were there. Um, I mean, overall I, I liked, I liked the shows um, for, for what they were. I mean, I enjoyed the first night much more and Zach Gibson is just should be a massive breakout star once they allow him to cut those promos. And I, I kind of like the fact I'm hoping that they build up to his promos as being a thing about, I'm actually going to keep you waiting. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I, I really want to see um, him be able to do. Um, there was stuff, there's a lot of stuff in there that wasn't necessarily my cup of tea. Um, you know, they've gone in a direction with, with some of the guys, uh, some people that are, that are interesting. I think 
in terms of the the women's roster, and these are overall thoughts. Tony Storm stands out. Oh by, yeah, she was great by, by a country mile. She got the best match out of Shayna Baszler. Yeah, I think Tony yeah. Storm's selling was. Oh, it's yeah. interesting because Tony Storm is usually the a slightly bigger opponent in her matches so she's often not selling in the way she was in this match where she was the underdog she's a great underdog she was so good in that role and there was an emotion to her selling as well the way she was grabbing her body part it wasn't over the top it was just the right level it was measured and it built throughout the match as well i don't think i've ever enjoyed a count out well i probably have but i can't remember the last time i enjoyed a count out win in yeah. that way, either. Was so, like a fan in back in the day, or no? <laughs> no. <laughs> Good old John Nord. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoyed this with Storm. I think Tony Storm quite clearly stands as the, the obvious star of this division. Uh, yeah. We'll get into the contracts in a minute, but Charlie Morgan and Killer Kelly, I don't think really did themselves many favours on this weekend. Their match was probably, maybe apart from Wolfgang and Adam Cole, uh, the weakest uh, of the weekend. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can't help but look at Tony Storm, can you, and think she should. You, could, you couldn't say that about everyone on these cards, but you could throw it on Raw tomorrow and she would not look out of place. No, I completely agree with you. And at the same time, I think Vince McMahon would probably quite fancier, <laughs> which is kind of kind of goes in her favour. When you look yeah. at, say... The girls that were pushed in NXT were great. Charlotte, Sasha Banks, Bailey. You look at what's happened to them on the main roster. Charlotte, not so much. Alexa Bliss. And then you look at Alexa Bliss and Carmella, who didn't really do anything in NXT, were more <laughs> valets. When they get to the main roster, he sees a couple of blondes with tans and thinks, yeah, push those girls. And Bailey with her little baby face and, I don't know, Charlotte's Ric Flair's daughter. So she's probably not his type, unfortunately aren't doing the things that they're doing unfortunately but i think vince will quite fancy tony storm she's his yeah. type so once he gets a look at her she'll be doing all right i'm sure <laughs> uh, did anybody else uh, from the weekend stand out for as far as the tournament goes i thought uh, as we kind of just touched on travis banks is so much better in this environment as the baby face oh, as the valiant no. under underdog baby face his match with, with Zach Gibson. Zach Gibson was obviously the star of the couple of days. It was a real shame he didn't get to cut a proper promo. But I think Travis Banks' uh, stock went up as well. Would, uh, would you agree, JP? And is there anyone else that uh, would stand out for you there? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, yeah, their stock rose. I would say um, even more so Moustache Mountain. Mm, the best the, stars, aren't they? In this they, scene, they when yeah. they walked out, they felt like big stars. That was a good sign for me, of, of I suppose, how... As much as it's been maligned, WWK can get guys over. Mustache Mountain were big stars to this audience. And they complement each other yep. so nicely as well. Like Trent Seven brings the personality. Tyler Bate kind of just copies what Trent Seven does. <laughs> yeah. And, and, brings and when he doesn't, you don't even yeah. know who he is. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. And then you got Tyler to, to just do the work. Tyler can yeah. put the. I mean, not the Trent's a slouch, but Tyler is the obvious worker of the two. I can't think of him a better marriage in WWE in this set. And I think Trent must feel like he's won the lottery. And, and Tyler's got that, that cushion because, being honest, on NXT, his promos have been quite rotten um and it's great to just he's much better when he's got trent to play off oh absolutely then like both of them looked in terms of their image as well just look great like trent has embraced the silver and he is a sexy sexy silver probably the sexiest silver since des linum and it's been about 20 years <laughs> since he was that's a lot. wow oh yeah and he's got oh. and he's got the tash and he's got the tash <laughs> <laughs> uh, i loved how much fake tan he'd also just 
thrown on himself as well. <laughs> that was that was making me laugh. But you could tell both of these guys were absolutely loving it. Like yeah. this was their moment, um, <laughs> and that surprise win and the way that they celebrated afterwards. Fair play to them. I absolutely love that celebration. I love the moment. It, it, I could. I wouldn't if I was there. I would have popped in the same way those fans did as well because undisputed era as a faction as well, are one of the best things going in WWE in general right now, if you ask me. And to put them over a faction that have been booked as strongly as they have recently, it's quite a big deal, I suppose. And I'm sure no one saw that coming. So, yeah, I thought that was an awesome, awesome moment. Definitely, yeah. Just seeing those people rise as they knew the finish was coming. You don't see that in WWE TV very often. I know they've kind of, spoilers, undone that now, and they are no longer the NXT Tag Champs, but you're right, it felt big. Um, and even in the promo afterwards, I just felt so happy for them. Um, they are, they're, those guys are definitely the winners um, in this NXT WWE UK scenario. So, yeah, they certainly won't be complaining. But, I mean, the, some of the people who, yeah, I mean, the, the contract situation, you can't get away from, from talking about it when you talk about NXT UK. There was, there was news in the Observer that, yeah, some of these WWE UK guys are allegedly on 24 grand contracts, which, mm. you, you know, it's your mileage increase. may vary. Yeah, yeah, it's something. <coughs> but apparently some of the women uh, are on tryout deals, which isn't great. That, that, that promise ring situation where you can't go take a contract anywhere else, but we're going to be taking a look at, yeah. They can apparently cancel the contracts after four and eight months because, well, ITV. Uh, and that's the main reason this is all happening. You can't get away from that, can you? As much as we've just talked positive about the shows themselves and how some of the talent looked, there mm. is this kind of overbearing presence of, you know why WWE, WWE in this, um, and you know why this is all happening. It's, it's ITV, isn't it? cynicism rules the day there doesn't it really mm. and you know what you know this promotion is a thing because they're paranoid and they're insecure as a company it's like um, signing so, a Rey Mysterio to get them away from all in isn't it yeah, yeah. it's ab- absolutely ridiculous like it just makes it I, I i can't stand that company even though i've spent hours of my life watching that company <laughs> but my god they are the most paranoid out of touch morons out mm. there <laughs> aren't they and they love to pat themselves on the back as well don't they ever do a bit of a humble brag whenever they do anything uh well or and they get a good rating just uh, just the worst company um interesting point you made about the women's contracts there mm. it's strange that it's just some of the female wrestlers that are on these deals like is that not discriminatory in some way surely mm. I think there's being... some men on it, but I don't think any of those men made these cards, so it's interesting that they see enough in these women to put them on the cards, but yeah, you're right, don't see enough in them to give yeah. them a proper contract. And uh, let's hope Leslie Smith gets a result, because uh, employment law yeah. might have something to say regarding that, but then at the same time, I doubt any of the women would ever pursue it because they'd be too scared of well, their chances long term. Here's the uh, culture of fear that we live in when it comes to corporations really and uh, how they can kind of dominate your lives if they want to and it, and it ties in with this with this issue of what is good for the wrestlers is not always what's good for the fans and in this is kind of for me a very much a classic example of it here you've got a kind of for the wrestlers a, a, a good base on which to work on for the year and be able to have some kind of income and be able to devote yourself full-time to wrestling mm-hmm. and, in theory, be able to go out and work and get better and to be able to kind of work on lots lots of aspects and be able not to have the, 
not to have as, as much financial pressure on you. The issue is here is they're not going to be allowed to go to some of the places where they could go and get better because it's on the whims of a company who can say no at any given moment. They can say no to the to the opponent you're up against or what the finish might be. And all of these things are not going to be the things that are going to help them develop and learn. And I've, you know, I've stood up for the Charlie Morgan on 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 this podcast and you know, the stuff in Eve. So it's for me, it's always like I'm, I'm, I always feel kind of rather bamboozled when you see a bad match. Because I kind of go, there is the potential for that not to be there. And the only way that's ever going to happen is if you can work in lots of places with lots of different wrestlers. That's the only way it's going to be able to improve. But ultimately. It's about stopping people going elsewhere rather than having them as valued employees, which is when you get into the four to the eight month, four, eight month contracts and how they can be cut at a moment's notice. And they won't be sympathetic about it. They'll just go, no, we're cutting costs, even though they've got more money than they know what to do. Well, what they do seem to know what to do with it is to set up a football league that's going to die on its arse. Piss money away on that instead. (laughs) Well, I mean, just going to what you were just saying there about the, the, like the even the matchup thing and, you know, the, the experience of working other people. What's more interesting? Uh, I mean, I, I love Mustache Mountain, but Ty, can you name a Tyler Bates singles match within NXT UK that, you, you, that you're as hyped for as Tyler Bates versus Will Ospreay in Fight Club Pro? Like, there's something about this yeah. gated kind of <laughs> NXT UK thing. Okay, yeah, they get to work progress, and we'll probably still get to see these guys, uh, you know, have matches. But I almost think, like, the, the better matches are going to ha- happen outside of NXT UK and outside of what looks like it is going to be another weekly one-hour TV show among the X amount of hours that WWE yeah. put out. I think I'm more interested in seeing their guys uh, elsewhere than I am actually interested. As much as it's a big news story, and I'll definitely be following it along, than seeing the guys work within the, the confines of this roster. The tournament I- was fun, but weekly TV? Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's What is interesting, though, is... Uh, yeah, you're right. I'm definitely more kind of hyped for, say, a Tyler Bate, Will Osprey match in Fight Club Pro. What I found with these shows, though, was... For the most part, the actual wrestling in the matches, the layout of the matches and the agenting that got on the matches, I didn't think hindered the matches like it does on, say, a Raw or a SmackDown or a WWE pay-per-view where you almost feel like there's an elephant in the room and that elephant is the agent getting what they want out of the match and not getting what's best for the wrestlers out of the match. And there's that almost element of overproduction. I actually thought here it worked to the wrestlers' advantage quite a lot. So the Tony storm Shayna match you mentioned really highlighted Shayna's positives and really hi- and hit, hit her negatives, which there are many of because she's so inexperienced still, but it also highlighted Tony Storm's positives. You look at the... Um, say the Travis Banks trajectory here, underdog babyface, had to fight to win his matches, Mm. loses to Gibson narrowly, room for a rematch because he was unlucky, bit of sympathy on him. Look at Gibson beating up Flash. Flash was coming into the match, um, I think he was selling injury, wasn't he, from a previous match from Rightly. Plays into that match in some way as well. Mm. It's quite a nice trajectory, um, but they put the people on in this. I mean, you've got to say babyface challengers for Gibson potentially in Flash and Travis Banks. So I actually thought the actual in-ring match booking and the story-based booking over the course of the shows was quite strong and quite open compared to say the close-minded main roster, if anything. 
definitely. I think it's it, it, it's better when you give the wrestlers that leeway and let them, because that's what it felt like. It felt like the wrestlers have more leeway. Um, it just makes all the difference. Although I would mm. say, yeah, to pick up on what you said there, I think another reason why maybe we didn't notice it as much is Zach Gibson, who is the man of the hour here. He fit. He's one person who fits that WWE agented style like a glove. He's not a very indies with a Z wrestler, is he? He's someone who, if anything, the way he wrestles, the fact that he's so good on promos and there's a lot of character work there, he fits that WWE style a lot. So he's yeah. someone who I think it would benefit. But yeah, I'd completely get get your point. In the main, I'd rather see. I wonder if the guys will get this leeway because that's probably a big part of what made the the tournament so exciting exactly and even stuff like um the say the six man on the first night mm-hmm. it felt like a great indie spot fest yes. match that you might see on you know a fight club pro card again mm-hmm. and that's what it needed to be if anything i'm sure if it was over agented and overproduced it wouldn't have been as effective potentially and wouldn't have got the talk and maybe there wouldn't have been the same excitement for the tag match the next day as well so i think they did strike the balance quite well here there was an understanding maybe of what this crowd wanted and they kind of delivered on it as much as i disagree with this whole concept of wwe uk i think they got it right over the two nights in the end definitely I mean, before we wrap up on uh, NXT slash WWE UK, I mean, one thing, another note I got from the Observer that was apparently it was the fourth most watched thing on the network over the last week. But it's interesting, isn't it, that WWE have presumably this is going ahead on the network and you'll you'll hear about them in conference talk cooks talking about super saving their fans and they are very much super fa- saving their hardcore base here whereas itv is going five o'clock prime time saturday night from the the 28th of this month so as much as yeah. they're trying to put out imaginary fires here jp i think itv have actually quite the leg up there i think if they, even if they only do the 1.2 million that they would they did uh, for that first special uh there's going to be so many more people watching the itv guys than there are watching these uh wwe well, guys and another factor that's playing into the equation to tie it all back to what we started off with in the beginning they're going to be running trailers during england possibly world cup semi-finals they were after the quarter final when they yeah. were during the russia croatia match and as well if they yeah, get you know, touch wood go to the final you're talking about like you know, being able to kind of build it and get that name out there and and there might be something to tie in with if there's any way of being able to do it and if ITV are behind it enough to be able to plug it. There's also, I mean, I'm, I'm really intrigued by ITV and I'm also intrigued by, and this ties with something Joe said about Leslie Smith and about the contract and the unionisation because the way that they've been treated, on the other hand, in terms of the guarantees that they've, but it, everything seems to have been completely by the book as if they were just a piece of contracted talent mm. doing working on a television show for ITV. So they had, I think there was healthcare benefits and the like, mm. which, you know, that's a big deal. Um, so you've got that. You've got the fact that you've got the enhanced names from some of them. I mean, I could see someone like uh, Adam Maxted becoming somewhat of a big deal and you wonder then how does that play into the into the indies and man and if Shah samuels turns up on either celebrity get oh. me out of here they'll have me for the first time since i don't know like darren day and razor ruddock were on i'm a celebrity get me out of here 15 years ago like <laughs> the crossover potential that does exist here is amazing yeah um and i really hope it works out for some of the guys who 
are great with their character stuff because you know they could make real careers out of this so there could be yeah. long-term benefits from this for for a good few of them if anything and the, the likes yeah. to say rampage brown weren't wwe wanting to get him back on board and then he kind of had a bad experience i suppose when he was over in florida years ago stood his ground and has gone to gone off a world of sport again i'd love to see rampage brown turn up in webster's garage working alongside kevin webster and <laughs> yeah. tyrone at some oh, point perfectly oh absolutely he would <laughs> yeah there is could, and it's also a bigger thing that it sort of ties into which is actually wrestling being out there more in the zeitgeist and more out there as part of the popular culture if the, if a product can be presented which is enough to kind of you know not just aimed at indie hardcore fans but just produces good matches which is the thing that kind of what world of sport yeah. did yeah. if they can do that and you've got will osprey on there and i just hope that he's just like pushed to the moon and he becomes a really special attraction that you see on a couple of the shows and that would be that would be fantastic and they can and that would scare them Mm-hmm. So, talking about crossover appeal, one thing we did forget to talk about, and Russell Brand's Ponderland and Johnny Saint has just reminded me that we didn't speak about Johnny Saint. <laughs> oh, so bad. So, so bad. I mean, that's probably where the contract money's going, isn't it? To pay for him to stumble his way through his lines and just... Oh, he's so he can't be on the weekly show going forward. He's no. someone they they clearly didn't want going to ITV, but they should have let him go to ITV and and bury the product that way instead. He's no Mister Beasley, that's for sure. Worse than Mac, Mike Adamley. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, well, Mike Adamley crossover appeal, gladiators. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, what was I saying? Yeah, I just thought Johnny Say looks so painfully out of place here, didn't he? Like, as much as Mike Quackenbush, Chris Hero, and Colt Cabana love the bloke, like, come on, this he's, is not, he's, not he's, his role. He's got his limitations, like. Yeah. I, I, I know Reeg was had his health problems, but can't Robbie Brookside do this or someone else? Dave Taylor. Oh, oh, I'd be up for that. I'd love for Robbie Brookside and Zach Gibson to be going head to head in segments. It'd be like an episode. Oh, Merseyside Derby. Awesome, perfect. <laughs> one Liverpool, one Everton fan. Oh, I'd be well up for that. Zia Brookside <laughs> turns on Robbie and joins with a Liverpool fan. Oh, it'd be like <laughs> Terry and Barry from Brookside itself. all yeah. over again. <laughs> I'm glad you went with Brookside and not Harry Enfield. I appreciate that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, but yeah, Johnny Saint, just go away. As much of a legend as I'm sure he is, you know, it's just. Shawn Michaels as well, I thought, did not <laughs> look so out of place on this show. Like, looking at him in his like you know texas fashion <laughs> stood out there in the middle of the royal albert hall look man one night only is a big part of brit res law he's a british wrestling legend don't you remember him pinning the british bulldog for the european title yeah. it's it, it all ties together doesn't it that that that, that makes sense to me. He was in full bastard mode back then as well, wasn't he? Yeah, it's a great match, that, as well. As much of a dick as he obviously was beforehand, <laughs> yeah. uh, which I didn't know at the time when I watched it. But Yeah. No, definitely. I was a big Sean fan then, and I remember being shocked that he actually went up. Because you just you took it as a given, didn't you? The Bulldog was going over. I remember yeah. the, the heat being absolutely huge for that one. So, yeah, at least we've got we've got some memories. With we've got that uh, one-hour match with Cena. That was on a Roar in the UK as well, wasn't it? So, 46 minutes. 46 minutes 46, yeah. yeah they included the breaks and it it ah. went 46 minutes yeah <laughs> sorry to be pedantic <laughs> that's what we're here for <laughs> uh, anything else guys on nxt uk or shall we shall we wrap there um i can't think of anything else really like 
if the show is as enjoyable as this and we end up reviewing it, it will be an easy watch. Um, ultimately, it's not something that I'm going to agree with at any level, but it's, if the guys do all right out of it and they get something out of it, I say absolutely fair play to them. Yeah. It's interesting seeing the roster that they had on the stage at the end. Like You notice Eddie Dennis there and a few others. So if it works out for them, good on them. But for at sure. the same time, screw WWE. <laughs> fair words to end up on then um, yeah that pretty much brings us to an end of all I suppose part one of uh, spotlights that are going to be coming out this week uh, me and you Joe will be back later in the week to talk some progress um, we had a, a bumper taping and we just yeah there's only uh, so much of our voices you want to hear and want helping so we'll have some of that uh, also I want to talk a little bit about uh, Grand Pro and their uh, 15 year anniversary show coming up I want to definitely make some time for that uh, in the meantime uh, check out the indycorner.com uh, there's some great stuff up there a few uh, editions of graps and claps the uh, there's a preview of the aforementioned gpw 15 year uh, anniversary show coming up there's a bwr a grimsby graps review there as well please do check that out and also check out uh, jp's interview with josh bevan of uh, riptide wrestling that's also uh, on this feed so if you didn't get a chance that's a really really interesting uh, interview great work there jp um where can the before we go then where can the good find people find you guys on twitter uh lemsip four p's jpgp three e's awesome you can find me at benson richard e and we'll be back in a few days come on england bye <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Max. Max, is you to Benno? That's a feeling, mate, isn't it? Hi, mate. You listened to much Metallica recently, Max? No? Can we get a star rating on the main events from Strong Style of All, please? Yeah, star rating out of five. Ishii versus Suzuki, quickly. Quickly. Three. Wow. That's a harsh grade. <laughs>